If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Recorded live. So, ladies, gentlemen, friends and fans, we're going to play the draft game sensation that will soon be sweeping the nation, uh, Chicka Freak. And what will happen is we're going to be discussing which players are truly freaks and which ones are tricking you into thinking that they are freaks. And it's not anyone's fault in particular. I mean, a lot of times you can point to, you know, Bruce Feldman, who I think actually does a pretty good job, but he's not in the weight room. He's not there with a stopwatch when a coach or a teammate or a fellow media member or whoever says, man, this kid's a freak. He did this, that, and the other. He did a crazy thing in high school. He did this amazing thing in spring testing. I'm pretty sure he's you know, doing what journalists do. He's writing it down, maybe cross-sourcing it to see if he hears someone else say the same thing about the player, and then, boom, putting him on a free player if enough people corroborate it. The issue is that we rarely define what truly is a freak. When it comes to college football, there are a lot of really, really, really good athletes the mass majority of the players you've heard of are really, really good athletes. The vast majority of the players you haven't heard of are really, really good athletes. But we reserve terms like freak for a rare special echelon. To me, that's where you find your Derek Thomases and your Troy Palomalos and your Deion Sanderses and your Reggie Whites and your Randy Mosses, your Adrian Petersons, O.J. Simpsons, Daryl Green. Those are the freaks. They have a rare set of skills. They're all smart, tough players. Well, every single one of those guys I named, and you know, people sometimes took shots at Randy Moss, and Randy invited it because he didn't always play hard. But when he was playing at his best, he was virtually unstoppable, particularly in his prime. If you're too young to remember, Randy Moss in his prime, lucky for you young folks, YouTube is readily available. It's not quite the same impact. I mean, I'll never forget Randy Moss's rookie season. I've seen a lot of rookie seasons. I've seen a lot of every kind of season that you can think of, right? Good, bad, and indifferent. But Randy Moss's rookie season stands as one of the great seasons. Obviously, rookie season, but any kind of season, any pro football players ever had, ever, forever, ever, 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 ever. So when we play Trick or Freak, it's unfair to expect J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, or somebody to walk through the door. But when we play Trick or Freak, uh, we're going to spend a little time figuring out, even if they might not be, you know, Hall of Fame bound, if there are indeed some freaks, and some of them are, in fact, tricking us. 
And as we have been joined by my ever-popular co-host, the one, the only, Jimmy Jam himself, Jim Coburn. How are you doing, James? Pretty good, pretty good. How's it going? Well, we're coming well nigh upon uh, a day of reckoning. Obviously, to some extent, uh, there'll be some tricks revealed, I guess. We'll find out, you know, obviously in terms of teens, and we'll talk more about that later, but, you know, which of them might be tricks and which of them are, you know, indeed, I guess, treats. But I wanted to sort of start off with what I call trick or freak. Freak has become a term, Jim, I'm just going to come out and say it. There's certain terms that when I grew up meant something slightly different from what they mean now, and some of these terms have been devalued over time. Terms like icon. I hear people throw on terms like icon, which, you know, people used to say for Joe DiMaggio or Shakespeare, you know, or, you know, I mean, a very... Abraham Lincoln. Uh, right. You know, famous people that did really impactful things, right? Right. The Kardashian sisters in past eras would not have been described as iconic. Sure, but you also have to look at the era that they exist. If you, like, in in other words, what I'm trying to say is this, is there is a big debate about, you know, I Love Lucy and Lucille Ball and all that stuff about, you know, because she was considered to be an iconic, you know, person of television, and how sure. people compare Kim Kardashian to that, and people going, "Oh my gosh, what? No." Which I will say that, it, but you have to think of the errors, right? Because you know, back then you had you didn't have as many television channels, you know. Uh, no, you had, you had three. <laughs> you had exactly. Three networks. That was it. You were done. Exactly, but in this era of social media and you know stuff like that it's all i'm saying it's debatable is all i'm trying to say (laughs) you could definitely try to keep an open mind that she isn't (laughs) but you can look at the sheer volume of presence because everybody knows who kim kardashian is everybody you know and it's not just people who are into the television show, everybody knows who Kim Kardashian is. You know, she has her own credit card line for crying out loud. So, like, you know, in that sense, of course, being famous doesn't mean that you're incredibly important or anything else like that, at least to certain people. But it is something to where I would not be surprised if history books had a little footnote about (laughs) Kim Kardashian in this era. But we'll well, see. you know what? You know what? She won't be a footnote is in future women's studies classes, right? I mean, she's going to be studied and discussed. Doctoral dissertations will be pinned about how she flipped certain norms, and uh, you know how she rode what would have usually been essentially a slut shaming kind of uh, episode into really her first real burst at stardom. And then unlike people like her in the past who would have receded after, you know, I mean, Tanya Harding isn't still dominating world media. I mean, like usually usually people with the kind of fame that she initially had 
I mean, they use the term 15 minutes, but it's a little longer than that, but it's not years usually. She's in her second decade now of being a famous person. Shockingly yeah. enough. But but it's but, it, but but she exists. You know, she's in the she's in the zeitgeist. So all, all that's all I'm saying. You know. But but I do agree that the the term icon, the term freak, those types of things that get applied to football players is a little you gotta hold up a bit <laughs> when you wanna say that everybody because everybody can't be an icon. I mean it's just Right, and then they wouldn't be icon. Because in the term, right, everybody can't be a freak of the term loses its meaning altogether. Exactly. You have to be so exceptional that it distorts a person's sense of what to expect. You are so far beyond what we thought that should look like at your position that you're redefining things, that you're Jim Brown hit the league at a time when there were fastbacks and there were big backs. And there were backs who had some size and some speed, but there was nobody who was 232 pounds who ran like that when Jim Brown hit the league. And when I say hit the league, I mean he hit the league. I mean, he was, there was, oof. I, I hear sometimes young people sort of diminish, you know, well, there's only, you know, he's only playing 12. Dude, that's amazing. He's listening 12 games season. That, that makes it even more incredible that he did what he did in 12 game seasons. When every, and once again, everybody knew what was coming. The Browns were a pretty well-balanced team, but well-balanced in that era meant running like 63% of the time. <laughs> so he wasn't sneaking up on anybody. I mean, we, by his third game in the league, I think word got out, oh, this Brown kid's good. Yeah, this, he was a this, mark- this, okay. yeah, this Jim Brown's pretty good. How we how are we gonna stop him? And then they go to watch the film and they go, Oh, oh <laughs> you know, like uh uh it's kinda like those people, you know, I, I think every every offensive lineman that has to study for Alabama on their schedule is it's looking at their film and going, oh, oh no, oh, oh no! I hope I pull a hammy before this game. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, yes. right, exactly. <laughs> that last practice, that last walkthrough, a lot of guys they discover they have they've been playing through an injury, and now, oh, I reaggravated that groin or what have you. Well, I, I was we were saying all this to say to say that. We live in an era where people describe lots of players as freaks. There's freak lists. There's freak of the week. There's, you know, all these things. And these are not a bad thing necessarily. I mean, it generates interest. It, uh, it's fun to talk about. But first of all, the term freak when not defined and more often than not, it's not. People don't say, to be a freak, you must be X, Y, Z. You must be this much above the norm. Or, right. Like, there's no standard. <laughs> so oh. so it makes it easy. Well, I, mean, I mean, unless I'm wrong, unless someone has actually said, well, oh, this is what it takes to be a freak. But you, you, you I know mean, better than I. Well, I mean, I have standards, but people don't like my standards, but I do. 
you know. Um, okay, well let's let's hear them. I I'm just I'm just saying in terms of to me, mm-hmm. yes, to be a freak, that means that you are top ten percentile in every single athletic metric. If you're talking you about know. a freak athlete, and that's it, you know, <laughs> like that's what a freak athlete is. The the issue that I think that happens is people don't realize, and this is the biggest thing to me, they don't realize that you don't have to be a freak to be a good NFL player. You know, like yep. that you don't have to be a freak. You know, you you can be a Antonio Brown, you can be a Wes Walker, you know, you can be uh, all sorts of things. You know, uh, people would be surprised when I tell them that, you know, that that Jared Allen was less athletic than Joey Bosa to a certain extent. You know, and they'd be really, but yeah, you could, you know, he was a for his size, he was above average and stuff, but like he wasn't like top ten percent on every single thing for his size. So, like, no. it, it's the assumption of if this guy is good at football, he must be a freak. When that's where the issue arises is that you could be good at football and not be a freak athlete. And sure. I mean, Dick Buckus, yeah. even before his knees completely turned to putty, wasn't exactly a freak athlete. He was a really tough, smart athlete who, right. you know, won a lot of battles before they happened because he would have the other guy literally thinking, this guy might kill me. Exactly, exactly. But for whatever reason, in this this era of whatever, you know, uh, we we just have this sort of assumption that well, if you're football, if you are a great NFL player, then you must be a freak athlete. It it buys into the whole force player stuff too, uh, in terms of like, well, if you're a force player, that means you're a freak, which means that you're good at rushing the passer. When there's lots of guys who don't pass force players who end up being productive players because there's more of the position than just being a freak you know correct like that's it's just that for whatever reason people just focus on one thing it's like with darren lee you know there's all this stuff about darren lee with well he tested really good as an athlete and stuff like well yeah he did but there's more of the linebacker position than being a freak athlete or with miles jack you know there's a sort of like well he was a freak athlete He's not. Why is he not? Be, well, again, there's more of the linebacker position than being a freak athlete. Yep. You know, it's just I don't, I don't know. It's just facts. Like now, is it good to be a freak athlete? Yeah. It, is it something that you can end up being a great player and be a freak athlete? Sure, but I just think for whatever reason, people just attach anybody who's a good football player is a freak, which is a whole another debate, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. But it but it is something that I I think happens way too often. Okay. Now obviously we don't have numbers off of the guys from this year, so we'll be you know we'll do a little speculation, but we'll do a little look back because now I'm seeing Zut and Lors redraft because aren't they fun? Of last year, even though last year's draft is barely cold in its grave. Yeah. You already have people digging it up, strapping it to a table, continue the Halloween season, putting bolts in its neck and running 10,000 bolts through it. Yep. For whatever reasons. That's I don't know why. I guess, they're bo- I guess they're bored. I guess they, they, they've run out of ideas, I guess, at this point. It's just surprising. But, I mean, if, you, if you're already doing a let's redraft the first round of this year based on 
seven weeks, eight weeks of football games? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Really? So because we're at just about the halfway point of the season, let's do it. Like that's just I don't know, that's just crazy. Well once again, uh, this goes back to eras. In my day, we waited at least three years. <laughs> you know? I mean because you had some idea who was good after three years. Sure, but, but then it's everybody. And again, I'm I'm guilty of this as well. You know, if I didn't like a player pre-draft and they're not playing now, yeah, I'm going to be like, I told you so to a certain extent, you know, but I'm not like hunting down everybody for, for the most part, you know, um, <laughs> and pointing out the wrongs that they did. But, I just and it's it's even with my process too, and that you know I don't I don't actually label a player anything in terms of a starter or a pro bowler or whatever until four years too, you know like I just kind of if if they've only been in the league for three years I just put third year in the league that's it, you know, um, because you know certain players because there's always you know certain players are going to break out their, their rookie year other players may break out their second year you might have those weird sort of guys who like Lorenzo Alexander, right. You know, who was in the league for, you know, for like 10 years. And then all of a sudden now, boom, you know, type of thing after getting opportunity, <laughs> you know, type of thing. But, you know, it happens when it happens, but, but it is something that, you know, you just have to monitor and keep track of and stuff. Um, but, but it is something I just think it's odd. It's just weird that after, Eight year, eight after eight games of football, we're already deciding who's good and who's bad. Which I think <sighs> it, you need at least a year, and because one year of, of football data can tell you. I mean, it can tell you statistically the the potential. You know, the, the funny thing is, is one year worth of football data, if you get enough, which I've already done all that stuff, can tell you how good this player statistically is going to be or potentially, and the chances of them becoming, you know, successful in the future if they're not right. really good their first year. But, but, but at this point, it. right, at this point in, in his first year in, as a professional football player, Antonio Brown was still on punt coverage. Yeah, pretty much, you know. But, but, that's, but that's the point is he did eventually break out, you know, after, I mean, he broke out at least one, you know, in that four-year period. You know. Yes. It would be fair to say that he broke out in the four year period. I'm just pointing out that it was like nineteen games in or something into his season before his uh, into his career before he had like a I was in with a hundred yard game. I think he had his first like seventy or eighty yard game or something, nineteen games or something into his career, and then of course, you know, the rocket took off pretty quickly from that point forward. But yeah, I mean there's a pretty decent number of players we could name that even three years into their career, you know, I mean, the jury was not really in for Eli Manning at year three. I mean, there was still a significant controversy amongst his team, amongst his teammates. Amongst, I mean, if he was the answer or not, there are a lot, significant number of people who were like, what are we doing here? Clearly Kurt Warner gives us the best chance to win. Steve Young was contemplating Life as a long-term backup at year three of his career. I mean, he spent, what, was a year in the, in the USFL and then two years in Tampa and was 
I mean, you know, it's like, hey, I got a law degree. You know, he was he was thinking about maybe life after football after year after year three. I mean, it's even at, even at three years, there's so much that's still to be decided. But I understand what you're saying. I mean, you get an inkling. I mean, the true greats very often will show you glimpses of their true greatness early on in their careers. Right, and but that's the thing is Antonio Brown his first year nothing and then the second year boom you know which is how it usually happens i mean right. jamal charles jamal charles was a guy who his first year was splitting you know splitting time with thomas jones and then jones right. left and then boom jamal charles big you know big year I, i'm just saying that you can and it's it's just about probability you know because again that's that's really all it is is probability what is the what is the probability that the players are going to be successful that's that's really what mentor is all about it doesn't mean, I mean, if you have a 70% chance of being a really good player, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a really good player, but it just means that the chances of you becoming a really good player are higher than this other guy who has been in the league for three years and hasn't done anything, you know, for the most part. So that's really all it means. It doesn't mean that they could break out one year or whatever, but it does tell you a lot about, you know, again, that initial success tells a lot about, you know, what the future can't hold at, at a particular, you know, position. Okay. Yeah. So let's stick with the sort of trick or freak theme. So we'll start with last year because last year's fresh in everyone's mind. There are a lot of players who discuss as freak athletes and some of them, it may have been kind of a trick as opposed to a freak. So let's start with some of them, and we'll talk with the ones who truly were free. So looking back at last year's draft, who were some of the players who, when, you know, the, when the rapper was taken off, you know, it might have been, instead of being, you know, some rich, chocolatey, nougaty thing, like a freak, someone instead got, say, you know, raisins. Um, like, give me an idea of some of the guys who weren't really freaks that people kept discussing as if they were freaks. Huh. You mean the 2015 draft? Uh, last year. Yeah, we're going to go last year since it's fresh in everyone's mind and people are trying to redraft apparently now. Oh, you mean the, oh, the 2016 draft? Yeah, 2016. Right, right. Okay. I don't know. I just said last year. Cause, well, that's the thing. You know, when you say last year, that makes me think, you know, last year instead of eight games later. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. I know. In terms of the stuff. Uh, you, Crazy. You know, well, you know, I'll start with Leonard Floyd. I mean, Leonard Floyd was a guy that people consider to be a freak athlete, which he wasn't 100%. I mean, he wasn't top 10 percentile in every single thing. Um, he was more so above average in speed and explosiveness and, you know, about average in terms of his flexibility, uh, which was a big concern. But uh, he definitely was a guy that was kind of like that in terms of like a guy who was considered a freak, but he wasn't really a freak. Um, Eli Apple was a big, you know, for the Giants. Um, yes. His his athletic testing put him closer to Antoine Kaysan. Um I don't know if you – I think he's still in the league. Yeah, no, I'm very right. familiar with Antoine Kaysan, yes. Right. Uh, but – Antoine Kaysan was not necessarily a, a, a freak uh, by, by any stretch of the imagination. 
he was not he just wasn't he just wasn't that uh at all uh so that was sort of uh i don't know i just didn't really understand that pick but it was just it, it was just one of those things where it's like oh he's a freak well he's not really a, a freak 100 percent um who else who else oh yeah keanu neal was the guy that people were talking about as, as a as a freak athlete wasn't necessarily that i mean he was his athleticism was closer to jonathan cyprian um right now he's having success because he's being used as a box safety for the most part you know or extra linebacker because their linebackers that they drafted aren't really tackling so uh, right now, um, or their defensive line isn't really tackling stuff either, so he has to clean up stuff. <laughs> but uh, that that was definitely a guy who was considered a a, a freak freak. And of course, Will Fuller. I mean, Will Fuller was a guy that people, because you know he ran really really fast. But as I still contend, his his athletic testing was closer to Johnny Knox in terms of. Uh, and again, Johnny Knox was a fast guy too, uh, but but he just wasn't a very explosive guy, and wasn't very good in terms of uh, uh, breaking tackles and stuff like that. Obviously, but uh, Will Fuller is in a similar boat as that, and probably the biggest. I don't know the the biggest thing to me, freak wise, guy that everybody was saying was a freak that tests like a freak and was considered to be called a freak was of course Laquan Treadwell. Where you know, oh, I went yeah. back, I went back and I looked at an article that I, I wrote on on him because I basically it made sense at the time when I said it, which is that in the beginning with Laquan Treadwell, the narrative was that he's raw, but he's this athletic freak that's going to succeed despite the fact that he's raw. And then after the testing came back that he was more of an average athlete than a freak athlete, the narrative changed to He's a really gifted, uh, you know, really polished player who will dominate despite having plus athleticism, which to me I felt was nuts. I mean, you can't you can't go from saying he's a freak who's raw to he's this highly polished player who will will succeed despite the fact that he's not a, a freak. Like that doesn't. You know, that happened, but, like, that was one thing that I didn't quite understand why that narrative continued to be made about him, uh, considering stuff. And so far, I mean, you can't really say that he's a bust. I mean, it's eight games, but you can say that he's not as polished as people thought he was, you know, after, you know, stuff happened. So I just felt like that was kind of odd. Right. He's neither as polished nor as freakish as advertised. Well, so getting back to just sort of talking about trick or freak, getting back to his athletic testing, who, who did he look like in terms of his athletic profile? Oh, in terms of, uh, oh, what's that one, guys? Not that guy. I think his name is, not Muhammad Sanu, but it's Brian Hartline. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> that would surprise people. <laughs> Sanu, I think people would buy, because I've heard the Sanu comparison before. 
Well, because you know he had because you know he had a good three count um, and short shuttle, which is good. I mean, it's good to have a good three count and short shuttle. That was like what if you're grasping at straws, that would be the thing you would grasp at when it came to treadwall. But his explosiveness and his overall speed was more heartline, you know. And again, heartline was an NFL wide receiver who had success, who's a similar build to him, similar size to him. I mean, Hartline was more productive than Treadwell in college, but, you know, that that is definitely an athletic comparison that would make more sense. And I've never heard anybody say that Brian Hartline is a uh, athletic freak, so. And, and never shall you. <laughs> in fact, he sort of held up as when people are making comparisons and a guy is not quite good enough to be Jordy Nelson and too large and not quite quick enough to be Wes Welker, the other white receiver comparison that people will go with is Hartline. But they're not trying to let you know that the guy is a freak athlete by making that comparison. That is no, not very no, no. <laughs> No, but but yeah, that that was that was the one sort of he's a freak, but he's not really a freak that I kind of you know. And maybe he was a freak because you know he did have a torn ACL and he did have to recover from that, you know. And he and he and you know and he only had one year to recover from it, really. Of you know, um, from from his injury, so there might have been some of that playing into it. But he he just wasn't a freak, and it was something that most people that were watching the film of him that year were noticing that, hey, this guy isn't really that fast and he isn't really that explosive, you know, and stuff like that, you know. Right. And certainly, I mean, he suffered a gruesome leg injury. Uh, we all watched his, in horror, his leg flop around as he suffered a pretty obvious compound fracture. It was not easy watch. And, uh, to his credit, he came back faster than expected. And as you noted, he may not have looked like a freak athlete because I, I also noted that. I mean, I was one of the people who was like, oh, yeah, you know, Des-esque when I first saw him. And then it seemed like when he came back, he had a little less snap, you know, which is to be expected. I mean, he suffered a gruesome. It was a gruesome injury. I mean, it was it was hard to watch. So I would not be shocked if you lost a little something from just pure athletic ability based off of that injury. Yeah, exactly, which happens, you know. It happens, but, you know, we're in a sparky world. I watched right. I watched Chucky Mel- Chucky almost said Chucky Mullins. Uh, Chucky um, who did actually die, unfortunately. But um, I watched Chucky Keaton's very promising, you know, possible professional career die before my eyes due to injury. And he was a favorite of mine. It was not easy watching. Yeah, well, you know, and I like Chucky Keaton too. But you know, injuries happen and. Is what it, you know just happens. So, 
Now, on the other side of the ball, well, I guess you covered both sides of the ball. But here's a guy that I kept hearing comparisons to every, almost every great corner or safety, depending on what you thought he was, in history. And Jalen Ramsey has acquitted himself fairly well. But he was a guy that I heard called a freak constantly. Uh, in your definition, one, does Jalen Ramsey qualify? And two, if so, what are the qualities that, that do make him freakish? Well, he, I mean, he technically qualifies as a freak. I mean, he had 99 percentile explosiveness. He had, you know, 10 percentile speed and 10 percentile dynamic speed. With similar players, athletically speaking, such as Akeem Talib, Nandi Asamoa, you know, uh, Prince Makamura, you know, those those types of guys. Oh, I mean, I would consider him to be a freak just because he had top 10 percentile and everything, everything else like that. Where I wouldn't say he's really a freak is in his production, which was uh, inconsistent. And his stuff throws, throws off stuff because a lot of his – like the one thing I didn't do is I – you know, again, when I judge production of cornerbacks, I judge solo tackle market share and then pass deflection market share. And it's a thing where I, I've actually been gathering more data because I went back and I got Deion Sanders' and stuff. I went back and I got Troy Vincent's stuff, Sam Madison's stuff, <clears throat> and a couple other players I've been working on to get. And, and it's been holding up so far, which is that guys that have above-average solo tackle market share and above-average uh, pass deflection market share have pretty decent careers because I think everybody would agree that Deion Sanders had a pretty good career. I would think, <laughs> yeah, you, know, people would, you know, people would say Troy Vincent had a, you know, a decent, you know, career. Uh, Ty Law, you know, I think people would say Ty Law, you know, had a, had an okay, you know, career. And Sam Madison, I mean, you know, I think people would say Sam Madison had a, had an okay career. So, like, those types of things kind of held up. When it came to Ramsey, even though he had, he hit the sort of requirement, barely hitting the requirement for pass deflection market share, I did note that some of his pass deflections weren't really – I mean, they were pass deflections, but they were pass deflections the akin to a defensive end that gets a pass deflection or a defensive tackle that gets a pass deflection because, you know, he would rush the passer and then he would deflect the ball at times, you know, raising his hand up and deflecting the ball as a rusher. But that's not – I mean, he's not an edge rusher. He's a cornerback. So <laughs> – the, the, just the simple fact that, you know, Dale Carter was getting a pass deflection. He wasn't getting it two yards away from the line of scrimmage. Exactly. So, which which is where the sort of the the person comes in and goes, "Well, James, you know, uh, you this doesn't work because of situation. See, like you need to go back and do it, and uh, that's okay. That's fine. Um, but I just noted that it wasn't. But the, but the big thing for him was just. Again, solo tackle market share. He didn't hit that mark. Uh, I went back and, you know, he didn't hit Deion Sanders' mark. He didn't hit any of the other special players' mark. And, and again, it just comes back to the fact that if you're playing cornerback in the NFL now, you have to tackle. If Deion Sanders was playing corner right now, he would be tackling people because screen passes and all that other sort of stuff that, that has, you know, proliferated in the game to the point where you have to tackle. 
Um, and it's just something that you have to do. I mean, it's, it's a big reason why the Seahawks have had so much success on defense is because, you know, they all tackle um, and, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of what they do. So, I mean, it's something you have to do. So with Ramsey, I mean, his big thing was just the solo tackle stuff was down. I don't buy the whole, well, people just didn't throw at him stuff because that's just, to me, well, that's well, just kind of dumb. That if it's if for Dion, he made it. They threw at Dion. <laughs> I mean, every single year, Dion, you know, every year Dion was getting tackles, every year Dion was getting pass deflections, and every year Dion was getting touchdowns. So you would think by year two they would stop throwing at him, and maybe they did, but he was still getting tackles, he was still well, getting pass deflections, and he was still getting interceptions. Let me assure you, as a witness to Dion Sanders' collegiate career, by his fourth game, maybe before his fourth game that he played in college football, Word had spread that you should do everything possible to avoid throwing the ball near Deion Sanders. But as exactly. I said, to paraphrase, um, you know, the the movie, um, um, oh, what is it? Uh, oh, uh, gosh, uh, Glenn Close, Michael Douglas. Um, oh my gosh, I just it just flew out of my head to think about it. Are you talking I about the movie be, where? Oh uh, yes, the yes, the bunny. Yes, but my point is, he refused to be ignored. Uh, he, he wouldn't just let yes. you go away from him. He would go get. He would drop off his guy, run to the other side of the field, sometimes clear across the field while the ball was in the air, Jay, and make plays in the ball. Yeah. Exactly. So you couldn't just throw away from him. There was unless you just throw every ball. Very short. I mean, that's your only unless you wanted to throw every ball between you know six to zero yards downfield. Deion Sanders was going to get involved. He wasn't going to simply you know say, well, you know, I'm taking my guy out of the game. Ho hum. I'll just chill out here. Yeah, exactly. But when it came to Ramsey, I mean, you know, and I don't want to get into you know, tape and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, the tape was okay. Yeah, it wasn't like anything spectacular. I think the biggest, the only big issue I ever had with him on tape was that he didn't get a ton of interceptions. And it wasn't that he couldn't get interceptions. It was just that he wasn't putting himself in position to make interceptions, if that makes any sense. So, like, he just didn't have a very good feel for, you know, putting himself, his body in position. I mean, Charles Woodson kind of explained it a lot better, you know, to kind of get get into that get into that pick area, you know, to, to get a pick. Uh, he just wasn't very good at that kind of stuff. But, I mean, and Jalen right. Ramsey, and that's the other thing, is that despite the fact his production was like that and everything else, you know, and all that kind of stuff, I would still say that he was a first-round cornerback because, you know, there's just stuff there. You know, there, there's physical stuff there that this guy's a guy who is going to work out. It's just the whole, he's going to be the next great special player and, you know, stuff like that, or he's going to be the next, Patrick Peterson and, you know, all that kind of stuff is just kind of nonsense to me just because I think you don't realize that this is a guy that's going to need a couple a couple years to figure stuff out. And then he'll have – like, I felt like he was going to have a similar career to Nandi Osmo, you know, a, a guy who, you know, kind of broke out in a big way, had four years of – I don't say dominance, but four really, really good years. Of being really impactful, and he was then, the best, he was the best yeah. corner in football 
for about a three or four year period. Exactly. Uh, and then he wasn't able to stop Brian Hurtline. Um, New Brand. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a precipitous drop. I it was say. it was shocking. It was like it was almost. I wondered if he was hurt, or I couldn't figure out what the heck happened. Exactly. I don't know what happened, but like I always felt like that might be Jalen Ramsey's career, and that you know it may take a couple years, and then he'll have this big breakout, and then go from there. I will say that Jalen Ramsey has top ten percentile stats. I will give him that, um, and trash talk. But you know that's. <laughs> about it. I mean, that's the one thing I would say this year in particular, you know. Got it. Uh, so, yes, you mentioned Leonard Floyd. Now, obviously, if you are a certain body type, if you can play some end and tackle and preferably play both, and it looks like you can be a five technique, lately it's in vogue to compare you to J.J. Watt, even if you bear other than playing defensive line, virtually no resemblance to J.J. Watt. For those who are not quite familiar with J.J. Watt's actual testing metrics, like where he actually hit, what kind of athlete he actually was, what when people look at J.J. Watt's athletic testing profile, what things would they see and how might that help them to maybe be more circumspect? Well, I mean, you could start with just size, you know, because he was really, really big. I mean, J.J. Watt was six foot, six, you know, six foot five. Uh, he was two hundred and I think two hundred ninety pounds. I think more two, than two, that. Do you know which weight you're talking about? But he was, I think he was 292 or 290 pounds. Yeah, yeah. 290 pounds. Yeah, he was 6'5", 290 pounds. He had ridiculous arm length. He had ridiculous hand size. He was top 10 percentile in dynamic speed, top 10 percentile in explosiveness, and top 10 percentile in speed. He was essentially, and, you know, you can quote me on this if you want, he was four times as athletic as Gerald McCoy. Wait, what? (laughs) He was four times as athletic as Gerald McCoy. He was four times more explosive, four times more fast, four times more dynamic for his size. Wow. (laughs) That's a big number, James. So four times meaning 400%? Well, you know, like, again, that's just, how athletic he was. I mean, in comparison to Jerome McCoy, he was that much more explosive, that much faster. You know, like, in terms of everything, he was just that. You know, he's really... Now, J.J. Watt isn't the most athletic... Uh, well, he kind of is. I mean, he isn't the most athletic... I mean, the most athletic defensive tackle I think in college... In, in the NFL right now, anyways, is Don, Don Terry Poe. Uh, yeah. But for size... Yeah. But God. the second, you know, is J.J. Watt. Well, that's a nice and, list. That's a nice list to be on. That's right, folks. J.J. Watt. Good list. And then when you go to his college progression, which people still don't care about for whatever reason, uh, J.J. Watt <laughs> was 99 percentile in solo tackle market share. He was 98 percentile in stack and night. 
almost 100 percentile in tackle for loss market share. So he was really productive. Those are that's hard to do, ladies and gentlemen, to go almost 99 percentile in tackle sacks and TFL as a as a defensive tackle. I mean, well, that's hard to do. Just speaking historically, who else? I mean, I assume that there's a couple of people. Who else has ever done that, playing interior defensive line primarily? I mean, there's people that are close. You know, uh, like Sue. I mean, Sue was 99% all total tackle market share. He was 94% all sack, so he's, you know, off a little bit, and 96% all TFL. He's okay. a little off. You know, he's not there. Uh, Aaron Donald. You know, was 95 percentile solo tackle mark. So he's about four percentiles away. You know, from from uh, what 98 percentile sack, 99 percentile TFL. So I mean, he's close. There's a lot of guys that are close, but there's really nobody that is is there. You understand wow. what I'm saying? Yeah. Nobody there. So I mean. To be honest, J.J. Watt is actually fairly predictable. Like, the people acted like there was this shock that he was this good, but if you really look, this was not, a, a, you know, an unexpected pop-out-of-the-closet boom kind of moment. It's like, oh, this is exactly who you told us you were. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I wasn't doing this stuff back then, but if I was, I would be telling everybody to their face that he should be the top player taken that year, you know. But who knows that that would have happened. But that is what I talk about when it comes to rare prospects. You don't compare people to Watt unless you do the things that Watt did. Otherwise, you have no business being compared to him. So, like, so, okay, let's 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 bring Jonathan Allen into the fold, right? Let's bring Jonathan Allen into the fold because he's been productive at Alabama. I'll give him that. Um, he was, you know, 85 percentile in solo tackle market share. He was 90 percentile in terms of sack market share, and he was 82.5 in terms of TFL market share. All this stuff was based on his stuff from last year because we don't have a full year this year. Uh, his full year stuff was the sacks and stuff was actually. The sacks and TFLs was less than it was last year. Uh, the the, ta- the solo tackles are up a bit, but basically, Jonathan Allen, production-wise, is more akin to Tyson Alualu. He's more akin to, uh, you know, Geno Atkins. Uh, he's more akin to. <laughs> yeah, it's not too shabby. I mean, it's good. Uh, he's more akin to uh, uh, what's that other guy? Luis Castillo. You know, from Northwestern. You know, he's. I will not be so pleased to hear Luis Castillo. <laughs> well, Luis Castillo was a freak athlete. Luis Castillo had a fairly, you know, good career except for injuries and stuff. You know that, and he had injuries in college too. Uh, yep. So, like, I mean, now again, I think Jonathan Allen is better than Luis Castillo. I think he's better than Tyson Alualu, especially when it comes to hand usage, and and he has certain aspects to his pass rush uh, technique that's really good, but 
if you're saying that this guy's the next J.J. Watt, if you're saying this guy's the next Navikin Sue, then I don't know. There's no comparison. Like, he's not is – he, is he going to be a good player? Yeah, he's going to be a good player. I think he's going to be a really good player. But if you're going to say that this guy is a genera- generational talent, that he's going to be the next Watt or the next Sue, I also would say that him being six foot three versus six foot five is a different sort of, it's a different mismatch, you know, because that's the other thing where people don't understand how height affects things at the defensive line position, which is just that there is a, there is a relative decent correlation that the taller the defensive tackle is, the more, the longer their careers are, the more, you know, they're able to get past deflections, which is another way that they can affect things at a higher rate. They're able to get, you know, more leverage if they can bend because, you know, again, if you're six foot five, 290 pounds like J.J. Watt, and you can bend like J.J. Watt can bend, if you're a six foot three, stiff, slow guard, you can't compete with that. There's nothing you can do against that, you know? And the same thing with Sue, who, you know, Sue wasn't as bendy as J.J. Watt, but he was a explosive power, you know, speed athlete. And, that's the same issue there as well. So, I mean, I think Jonathan Allen is going to be a good player. I just think they stole the whole Watt to, or even comparing to Reg, Reggie White of all people, you know, you know, rest his soul, uh, is just crazy talk. <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I have to wonder if people saw some of these people play when I, I mean, it wasn't that long ago with except for Reggie White. That was a long time ago with both people, but, I mean, to me, there's no, obviously, too. I mean, he's not John Randall. He's not – there's a lot of people he's not. He he might be a bigger version of Jacob Green, who was really, yeah. really good and possibly in the Hall of Fame. So maybe I should slow the roll even on that. But, like, he's – there's things I really like about him. Uh, he, he really does understand – like, he has, a good, he has pretty good recognition skills, hand usage, as you mentioned. He's powerful – He's got, you know, short area bursts is something you normally associate with slot receivers and quick backs. But he's got it. I mean, he's, he's got a really good first two steps, which is true. part of what makes him so hard to handle is how quickly he can get to full speed. But, I mean, is there something wrong with comparing someone to whom they are more comparable? I guess is what I'm driving at. Like, why would you whip out somebody more like um, – Oh, from Michigan, North Carolina, um, defensive tackle class, defensive end, sort of did both. Um, pretty explosive. About, I don't know, six, five, maybe five drafts ago. Oh, gosh, what was his name? Uh, my point is... You mean that guy? Well, there's people a lot more like Jonathan Allen than the guys that, I mean, who aren't generational talent, but are good players. Is what I'm pointing out. Right. I say we're comparing certain people to. I mean, I'm even loath to compare guys like Von Miller to people like Derek Thomas and and Lawrence Taylor. Though he's, as I said before, he's the closest I've seen since. You know, no one yeah. comes closer. You know, I uh, I can say that much. Oh, uh, you mean uh, you mean Sylvester Williams? Thank you. Good job, James. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to remember. He's like a yeah. better version of Sylvester Williams. Right. Yeah. 
but the the thing is is we're we're in the um uh, we're in the spin zone right now where Alabama is beating people to death with with a wooden stick um weekly and whenever that happens you're going to have every player in the team being compared to the next great whatever um which is which is inevitably going to be happening. Because that's the main thing I think I'll hear from people about Jonathan Allen is when I say this production stuff, they'll go, well, he was at Alabama, which was a really talented team. And, you know, he, he wasn't, but he was re- that he must be really productive. But, you know, that whole argument that I've heard lots of times is where they go, oh, well, you know, he was at Alabama and it was a really talented team. So if he was on, if he was on Wisconsin, he would be pr- producing just as much as J.J. Watt or whatever, um, which is, to me, nonsense, uh, at least to me. Because the only thing I'll say about Jonathan Allen is is he tends to, I don't say give up on the edge perimeter stuff, but if stuff kind of gets to the edge and he kind of is like, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's not a lot of depth pursuit if that makes any sense when it comes to Jonathan Allen. You know, he's he's pursuing you laterally, but if if you're already ten yards down the field, he ain't he ain't gonna bother, you know, with that. <laughs> you know. Which makes sense because obviously he's a very big man and he can get tired like everybody else, you know. So he doesn't wanna overly strain himself, but uh the the really, really good guy, the reason why they get into that ninety nine percentile solo tackle market share area is because they're getting those those depth pursuit plays, you know, tackling guys 10 yards, 15 yards down the field as a defensive tackle. Uh, Well, I mean, I hate to keep coming back to the Texas game, but when people lose their minds over you saw these gift things, like did you watch the entire game where it was Indomitian Sioux versus Texas and Indomitian Sioux won? I mean, I would encourage people to watch that game I, I think he had some like seven and a half tackles for loss in that game. Is that is my memory right on that, Jane? I mean, I, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I wouldn't be surprised. It was crazy. <laughs> it, it, was, it was crazy. Like they were devoting three and four people to him, and they still couldn't stop him. I don't think people realize. Like if Texas wasn't. He didn't sneak up on Texas. Texas knew who Tompkins was. They were very aware of him. They kept running backs in. They they had people wham block. They had people combo block. I mean, every kind of block you can think of, influence blocks and traps. And name something. Name a blocking technique. They tried them all. They tried them all. And he was just wrecking everything. He chased down screen plays, as you mentioned, more than ten yards away. Yeah, and that yeah, in that game he had ten solo tackles, <laughs> six tackles for loss, yes, okay. and four and a half sacks. And four and a half sacks, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when Jonathan Allen does that, get back to me. <laughs> And that whole talented team excuse, there were something like four other pros on that Nebraska defense, if my memory serves me correctly. Pretty much. 
But it doesn't hold up because, again, if you're playing in the NFL, you're going to be playing around a bunch of really talented players. Bingo. You know, and the fact of the matter is, guys who played on talented teams, I mean, just take the Miami players, all of them, Clinton Portis, uh, Ed Reed, you know, all the all the guys, all those people, Warren Sapp, Ray Lewis, whatever. I mean, whoever you want to name to play to Miami that was a really good player, they all stuck out amongst all that talent there. Right. Like this, this isn't this, – there, there's, there's, no, there's, there's no discussion. There's no debate. It's just the facts, you know. Like, it's just the facts. So, is it impressive that Jonathan Allen is really productive on a, on a really talented football team? Sure. But is he Sue Watt-level stuff? I mean, because here's the thing, though, is – and I'm not, I'm not saying that Solomon Thomas is Sue-like or anything else like that or like he's the next Sue, but when it comes to the stuff I've seen from Solomon Thomas in terms of size, in terms of, you know, his, his build and, you know, his athleticism to a certain extent, he wins in a similar way. I mean, he looks a lot more like the Dominican Sue than, you know, Jonathan Allen just based on a size standpoint and everything else like that. And he also had a game against Notre Dame where he had 10 sacks, well, 10 tackles, and one and a half seconds for loss and one and a half sacks. So not as good, but he's a five-tech defensive end, Bill, that had 10 tackles, 10 solo tackles. Like, that's ridiculous. You know, it's not as ridiculous as two, but I just don't really understand why there's this this whole sort of rush to say that Jonathan Allen is the next. But it's like anything else. I mean, you know, if if you're a good NFL player, people are going to compare you to the best. NFL players, despite the fact that you may not have anything in common with those types of things, because it's you just have to fit. It, it, it's narrative to me. I mean, the draft becomes more about narrative than it does actual facts at times. You know, Vic Beasley is the next Von Miller. Uh, you know, Noah Spence was supposed to be the next Von Miller. Remember that? Like that was that was the thing that was being floated around. You know, because he was the undersized pass rusher. Then he goes to the combine, doesn't run as fast as him, doesn't jump as high as him. Not <laughs> you know, strong, do not anything. <laughs> and then the narrative kind of shifts to, well, he, he may not have tested like Von Miller, but he looks a lot like Von Miller. Whatever, you know. Why don't you go back <laughs> and watch Von Miller? It's not, it's not like the tape's not there. I hear all this stuff about, Oh, the tape is not, you know, because, you know, I was talking to one guy, you know, like, oh, I need, I want to get Ray Lewis tape. It's there. You know? where, where, and, you know, which brings you to the where you look. <laughs> and, and just for everybody out there, you know, T- Tim Bliss is a guy that he put a ridiculous amount of game tape going all the way back to probably before you were even born, Bill. I mean, he had stuff from the 40s and the 50s. So like, you know, not not a lot, but he has games from the no. '70s, from the '60s. He has games from the '80s, games from the '90s. I mean, I was going there to watch Deion Sanders. I took a look at Marshall Falls. You know, I you know, there's yeah. lots of stuff. pretty good that Marshall Falls. In case you're wondering, exactly. You can go back and watch Ray Lewis. Like, you have a plethora. It's like if you're going to compare a guy to Patrick Willis why don't you go back and go to Tim Bliss's website and watch the game of Patrick Willis, and then you'll go, nah, yeah, he ain't Patrick Willis. <laughs> <laughs> right, there we go. <laughs> Not quite. 
not not there. Or even Navarro Bowman. You know, there's Navarro Bowman tapes right there. All these people getting compared, all these linebackers, all these linebackers getting compared to Navarro Bowman. Just go back and watch that tape. It's there. It's there to yeah. be seen. It's not high. It's not a highlight tape either. It's a full game. You can see yep. the flaws and everything if you want. You know. Yeah, some of these people are more like Jonathan Vilma or Jonathan Beeson than they are like, you know, Navarro Bowman or Patrick Willis. Like, which is okay too. Those are good players, but like hyperbole isn't always the answer. No. Okay, it's so not. so let's continue back because you said we can go back further. Sure. Let's go back further. Let's go back to a, a yet another draft back. So yes, now we are in 2015. Once again, there are five or six guys that were touted as being freaks. They were, you know, going to do all this stuff and be this and be that and the other thing. And I'm not saying they were tricks in the sense of being bad players, but more in the sense of being maybe even good players, but players who were far from freakish in terms of athletic talent. So going back to that year, who were some of the guys that were being touted as freaks who just weren't? Well, I'll just start with the one guy. And again, Andres Pete, I got nothing against you whatsoever, you know. Uh, but the people that said that you were Andre Wentworth and, you know, all this other sort of stuff, that was just crazy. It was crazy talk. I mean, I, you know, Andres Pete was a guy that people were comparing to, you know, I heard Joe Thomas. I heard, you know, all this stuff. But the fact of the matter is he had more things in common with with Langston Walker than he did Joe Thomas or, you know, Marcus McNeil or any of the other sort of, you know, tall uh, but kind of stiffish kind of tackle types. But he was definitely one of those guys being touted as a freak that I just didn't quite understand the sort of of, uh, stuff. But, hmm. But honestly, I don't know. I don't remember who was – I mean, do you remember who was called a freak in 2015? Because – Yeah, there were a few guys that – well, as always, there's at least one or two wide receivers every year that get tied as freaks, and that year was no different, who turned out to be, you know, uh, you know, solid, I guess, good. Oh, well, well, wide receiver that year, you know, there was Mark Cooper – uh Mark right. Cooper kind of, Yeah. Was kind of not a but he was in terms of his dynamic speed or his flexibility, which I think I'm gonna go with that term because it makes more sense. Even though dynamic speed sounds cool, people don't quite get it. I don't know. But yeah, flexibility, what it, you know, three tone short shuttle mostly is what that kind of goes into stuff. You know, he was as fast and as uh, flexible as Odo Beckham Jr. It's just that he wasn't as explosive as Odo Beckham Jr. You know, so he had he had top 10 percentile speed. He had top 10 percentile flexibility, but he didn't have top 10 percentile explosiveness. So he's two-thirds, he's two-thirds a freak, I guess. How I would, how I would say that, I guess. In terms of uh, Amari Cooper, so he was close, but not, you know, Oda Beckham Jr. was a freak. Amari Cooper is, 
close but not there, if that makes any sense. So he he was kind of like that. Devontae Parker was was closer to uh, Jordy Nelson, which isn't exactly a compliment, 100%. I mean, it's 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 the term prerequisite athleticism to be a wide receiver is kind of applies to Jordy. <laughs> Uh, it, just in the sense that he's he's a wide receiver that you know he's not top ten percentile athleticism and anything he does have okay short shell three cones and then he was able to you know have sort of a you know Jordan Nelson had a good career I think Aaron Rodgers kind of helped him out a lot though but I just think that he's a guy you know that had a had a decent uh, you know overall career or Stevie Johnson is another sort of guy kind of like that. You know, Steve Johnson had, had kind of a uh, solid career. You know, not special, but polished. And that, that, and that was really kind of what Parker was. He was more so with those guys in terms of a guy who had average wide receiver athleticism, but didn't quite have special, really dynamic sort of, you know, wide receiver athleticism. Okay. Uh... And, of course, there's always the quote-unquote edge, whatever you call them, pass rushers, whatever. There's, every year, there's two or three of those guys that get tired of those freaks who just simply are not. Uh, looking at 2015, who are some of the ones that jump out to you from that draft? Well, that, that draft was, was weird. It, it was weird only in the sense that there was all these guys like Owa Mogby, you know, you know, double O pass rusher. Uh, is that kind of how I put it? Uh, and, of course, Vic Beasley and, you know, those, those types of guys. And for the most part, I mean, Vic Beasley was a good athlete. Uh, he wasn't Von Miller, but he was a good, you know, again, he was kind of more Carmen Bonner, uh, Barwin-ish. Than he was Von Miller, uh, and you know, again, and that that's something that he has. You know, he's really fast. He's really explosive in terms of those types of uh, of, of uh, you know things. Uh, when it came to Dante Fowler, he had more things in common with uh, the pass rusher from uh, what's that pass rusher name uh, from Auburn? Uh, it's not D Ford. But it's the other, other guy. Oh, he he had more things in common with uh, like Charles Grant, Reggie Torbor, uh, Robert Ayers. You know, like he, he was he was fast for his size, but he wasn't very explosive, and his uh, hip flexibility and ankle flexibility wasn't really that. That uh, special, uh, which was which was kind of interesting in terms of you know that kind of uh, perspective. Uh, Bud Dupree was obviously in that draft class, and and he was very he was he was kind of the Leonard Floyd of that class, you know. But because he didn't play at Georgia, he didn't go as high, you know, type of thing. Um, because he you know he had he legitimately had really good explosiveness, really good speed, but didn't have very good uh, flexibility or as good a flexibility compared to his other sort of stuff. Uh, but there was a good deal of, 
again, in that particular draft class, there was a good deal of edge athletes in that class and force players, but none of the guys who that, – that was a class where the only guy who had the production and the athleticism traits was Bud Dupree, and everybody else who had athleticism didn't hit production marks that were, that were commensurate with a elite edge player. And the guys who did hit elite production characteristics were not elite athletes. Guys like Shane Ray and Nate Orchard and, you know, those types of guys. So that's kind of why that, that class is kind of underwhelming because there definitely was a lot of uh, athletes in the class, but they didn't quite meet the production thresholds. Um, and, of course, tight end and defensive back are another position where people throw out a lot of wild and crazy comparisons. Now every guy who played basketball is Jimmy Graham. Uh, every big white tight end who can run a little bit is Brock Gronkowski. Uh, you know, we hear, obviously, you've seen lots of sort of loose, wild comparisons from that year's class. Were there any guys that stood out as being egregious? Or, I mean, notable for being a lot less freaky than advertised. Huh. Well, I mean, if you consider Devin Funches to be a tight end, I know that he was getting compared to Jimmy Graham, but he had more things in common with Jerron Kreiner than he did Jimmy Graham uh, in terms of, uh, you know, athletic sort of qualities and stuff like that. And the only other guy was, of course, people were going Max Williams crazy. I mean, you remember this, Bill. Max Williams crazy at the time. And there was a sort of, uh, when he tested, there was a like, well, athleticism doesn't matter, a tight end and blah, blah, blah type of attitude, which I thought was really like the, the amount of hate for people who do my stuff is uh, kind of alarming. I don't know. I just, it was like a big hate fest over uh, testing stuff, uh, which I was like, okay. But, you know, again, Max Williams is more closer to Mercedes Lewis than he was, uh, you know, a special tight end prospect. And the same thing goes with, uh, you know, the the tight end that the Raiders took uh, in, uh, in Clive Wolford. You know, he was, he was more of a kind of average tight end athlete in terms of his testing. So it was not really that great of a tight end class. Um, and who knows, maybe Max Williams will break out this year. I mean, is he breaking out right now? I haven't, I haven't actually heard anything, so I, I don't think so. But um, that definitely wasn't the best sort of uh, tight end class. And Devin Funches is not Jimmy Graham, and he'll never be Jimmy Graham. So... But that seems to be the sort of thing people it's a go to. It's like Bucky Hodges. People are comparing Bucky Hodges to Jimmy Graham right now, which is kinda nuts. He asked me. Has I mean obviously Jimmy Graham is rare. Has there been anybody in the last few drafts who comes close in terms of you know, how he measured and Huh. Or any of that stuff? Travis, Travis Kelsey. Oh, wow. <laughs> I bet that's an answer that would surprise some people. Travis Kelsey is about a third 
of what Jimmy Graham was. Oh, so that's as close as he was come to him. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, in terms of because the thing about Jimmy Graham is again he was top ten percentile on everything: speed, explosiveness, and uh, flexibility. Um, and when it came to Travis Kelsey, not far off. I mean, he was 80 percentile, 89 percentile. So he was close, but he wasn't like at Jimmy Graham level, you know, in that, in that sort of uh, sphere of thing. I think the most, I mean, the most athletic tight end to come out since 2014, at least, since, twenty, you know, the 2014 NFL draft was uh, – that one guy who uh, I don't think he did crack cocaine, I think. Oh, okay. And uh, what, what was it? That guy. Um, oh wait, I know you're talking about from Oregon. Um, from Oregon, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. Uh, I, I think it may have been meth, but I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Some kind of drug, you know. Um, it doesn't really matter what the drug is, you know. It was it was some sort of uh, illicit substance. So yeah, Lyula La- was probably the most athletic tight end to come out since the 2014 NFL draft, uh, followed closely by Will Ty. He's probably the second second guy. Um, I know some people might go to Eric Ebron and stuff like that, but Eric Ebron has more things in common with, with Ed Dixon than he does. Uh, special tight end athlete. So, despite the Campbell Soup commercial. So we Got haven't it. quite. We've had a. We've had a drought. I mean, there's no other way to say it. The tight end position has been a drought. Of, okay. Of uh, athletes, uh, other than Travis Kelsey, we've had a drought in terms of tight ends that have really good athleticism with matching what we uh, saw on tape, I guess, is is what I'll say. It's been a drought. It's been very dry. So, yes. That's interesting because you would think that with all of the things that have advanced in terms of nutrition and weight training and, you know, all the other stuff that we would see an increase in the number and quality of of great athletes at the tight end position. But you're saying there's actually a dirt field. Now, is that back to these guys who might have played that position in the past instead of playing some different position? Maybe. I mean, I don't – I mean, it's kind of like at the combine, you know, where – I forgot how many guys, but th- there was numerous tight ends at the, at the uh, combine who didn't hit the benchmark numbers. And again, people go, oh, well, the bench doesn't matter, blah, 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 blah. But every single Pro Bowl tight end since 1996 had at least 24 reps on the bench. You know, so it's important. I mean, it's important to have, you know, good in terms of the ability to hit those reps and um last year's draft i don't know if it's just a again you, you never want to base trends on one year of data and i don't really like to do that either but like if it, you know again if this keeps happening two years from now if we keep keep getting tight ends that are weak 
one excuse you could have, which I I have said a lot, is the spread. You know, the spread systems might be affecting tight ends, you know, causing them to be overworked, uh, which leads to them being less explosive and less fast because, you know, when you're when you're running these offenses and you're it's just tempo, 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 and you're trying to keep your body at a certain weight, uh, that can't affect those, you know, it can't affect those types of things. So it might have something to do with that. But then again, well, of course, Colt Lager didn't play that much. He probably just worked out a lot. But, you know, in terms of uh, that might be why he was so athletic. But I just think I I don't know that answer, but uh, but I would say it is an intriguing sort of question to ask because but – or but the other thing, too, is, again, Jimmy Graham is a freak athlete. You know, he's he's kind of like the Calvin Johnson of athletes uh, in terms of tight end position at least. So you, you shouldn't be surprised if you don't see another one of those for 10 more years. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, again, a lot of these really, really athletic tight ends are freak athletes. So you shouldn't expect to see that guy every single year, despite the fact that we keep thinking that that should be the case every year. When it's not, sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you get two, three guys in one draft class. But so far, that hasn't really been the case. And I don't think Bucky Hodges is going to solve that either. Oh, hello? Sorry about that. Muted myself. I was saying that Julio Jones is great, but he's not Calvin Johnson. And sure. Travis he's Kelsey close. is. Yeah, he's as close as we're going to see probably for a while. And Travis Kelsey, as you pointed out, is impressive, but he's, you know, he's no Jimmy Graham. And you mentioned Bucky Hodges. And whether you consider him a tight end or a wide receiver, I'll be watching his bench press results with great interest because. He was a guy that struggled in goal line situations at Virginia Tech, and, and on multiple occasions I saw him get pulled even and subbed for a much smaller player who was a much better blocker. He got blown off the line at times, you know, and he's supposed to be touring 60 or turning 50 or whatever it is they say he is. Right. I, I suspect he's probably a little lighter than enlisted. But even if he's 252, right, even if he is that, which I, I'm not sure I buy, and even if he's six foot seven, which I'm also not sure I buy, let's let's just say for the moment that he is both those things. But if he puts up twelve bench reps, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, well, Eddie Royal been, put up twenty four. There hasn't been a long term starter at tight end who put up less than fifteen bench reps. Right. Right. So, so that put up twelve, he would be the first tight end in the last two decades to to do that. Like that's if he was a wide receiver, it's a little different though. I mean, wide receiver is a little bit different. Like you definitely need to put up some to be a special player at least. 
it's put up, you know, a decent amount. Um, now, it's like Kelvin Benjamin guessing, had seven reps or something like that. Seven? Kelvin Benjamin seven? Something like that, yeah. That's crazy. He's basically he really a tight end. <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to stand Kelvin Benjamin next to the aforementioned Eddie Royal and said, which one of these guys put up 24 bench reps, which of these guys put up seven, how many people would get Kelvin Benjamin right? Oh, he put up. Oh, ah, sorry about it. He put up 13 bench reps. Oh, that's more like it. Okay. Well, that's not great either, but okay, great, at least it's respectable. It's, I don't know why it's not I embarrassing. It. Yeah, I don't know why I thought uh, seven. But, yeah, I mean, so there have been guys that, that, that put up seven, and I'm going to look that right now just so I don't. There was a couple of quarterbacks. At least a couple of them, I think, might still be in the league who I think put up seven. But, but yes, it's. And Dion always, you know, takes shots at it. I never saw, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, Eddie, uh, Jerry Rice never laid across my chest and let me, you know, <laughs> let me bench press it. But uh, the bench press, whether or not it matters in direct football application, is usually a pretty good indication partially of upper body strength, partially of even explosiveness. I mean, the first few bench reps you do, you're doing with fast twitch muscles. You know, it's firing off there, and you're trying to get those first few out to get a big number, right? You're trying to get a good number, and that's your fast-switch muscle fibers helping you to do that initially. And then last but not least, commitment to the weight room. You know, the guys that put up, unless they're, once again, injury being the, the other thing, but if a guy who looks physically impressive puts up a really poor number on the bench, it's often an indication that he's not super dedicated to the weight room. Even though he looks good, that could be sort of natural genetic gift keeping his body fat down and allowing you to see, you know, his underlying musculature. Right. And I, and I also think as I've been talking to a couple, couple dudes about uh, who do more of the training stuff, they also said that it might also point to uh, posture too, you know, because one aspect of bench, you know, a lot of people just think, you know, the bench press is just going there and pushing up, but there's also a bit of tech technique with it too, in right. terms of, uh, you know, your, you know, getting, getting your back into position and, and it's, you know, getting kind of your lower body or your lower back anyways, you know, in position to, uh, see so that you're not getting overstrained and injuries and stuff like that. So it, it might point to a little bit of that as well. But, I mean, as much as people decry the bench, I mean, it, it is, you know, it's, it is important. Um, it's just that people, oh, yeah, like, he, like here's sort of the, <laughs> so, like, so, like, tied in bench reps, um, there were two guys that had seven, and one of them was David uh, Grenage from NC State, uh, Marcellus really? Rivers. From Oklahoma State had seven reps. Marcellus Rivers bench. doesn't shock me. He doesn't look like a guy who killed himself to be in the weight room. But Grenage is a surprise because he looks fairly, you know, fit yeah. in body. But Eric Streetman from Nevada had nine. Antoine Harris at SoCal had 11. Ronnie J. Bobby Blizzard. I'm surprised he didn't become successful, actually, but that's a really good name. He had 12. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to tight end bench, 
guys who had 12 reps was Desmond Clark. That's it. Guys that had 16 reps was Scott Chandler and Julius Thomas. And that's it. Um, 18, you start to get better. But the basic point I'm trying to make is the correlation is in favor of lots of bench reps, especially when it comes to Pro Bowl, All-Pro tight ends. They had at least 22 bench reps on the uh, bench. Now, where was Witten? Oh, Witten was... Yeah, Witten was... Let me just... Yeah, Witten was 25. Okay, which is certainly solid. And people used to call Tony, Tony Gonzalez kind of softish. Where did he come out? Oh, Tony Gonzalez. You know, I don't think I actually have his bench for a Oh, okay. That, or at least it wasn't on the, uh, the the website. Because a lot of the stuff I got from Tony Gonzalez was from uh, this one site that Bill Walsh made. But I don't think it has bench rep, unfortunately. Got it. Yeah, no, that's not surprised, but that's one would have been interesting to know since he's sort yeah, of the, Like I said, I the, mean, I'll, I'll either bribe Gilbrent with Brent Lobster certificate or I'll have to waterboard him. But either way, I'll, I'll get the information eventually. Because <laughs> Somebody, there's somebody out there who has this knowledge that I will get, but until that day, you know. right, right, <laughs> right. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Shannon Sharp had, um, you know, a good number. I can't remember the number, but it was somewhere. It was not quite Witten, but it was somewhere well into the 20s, if memory serves you correctly, even though he was a, a smaller guy. Exactly. Uh, but it's just, you know, this tight end class, the, the last one anyways, the, the 2016 tight end class, I mean, none of them really were that great in terms of bench, you know. I mean, Austin Hooper put up, put up 19. Uh, Hunter Henry had a really bad day, and then he put up 21, you know, at his, at his pro day, which still wasn't really that awesome, I guess, was the term I would use. Once again, it's not better. humiliation time, right, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, to me, bench press has been a thing that's, that's affected positions that are, you know, line position, obviously, and tight end for obvious reasons. Wide receiver, not so much. I mean, it doesn't really, you know, and it it doesn't 100% make sense, but it does kind of make sense to me in that, you know, different wide receivers win in different ways, you know. So some wide receivers don't really win for body strength. Right. It matters more for Anquan Bolden than for Randy Moss. Right, exactly. You know, uh, and, you know, there's, there's definitely some stuff at running back, too, in terms of you know, bench reps, at least 15, at least at that position. Um, but so, then there's other stuff at running back that I don't quite understand yet, but it, that's just there correlation-wise, yeah. So who's been the most successful guy who was towards that bottom end of numbers? You said 15 is sort of the, the cutoff point. 
who was really good, who was down around that 15, 16 mark, who turned out to be, who still had a great, great career? Okay, well, let me... I guess, uh, and then, so, oh, actually it wasn't 15, it was 16. Um, okay. Alfred Morris was 16. Uh, Todd Gurley was 17. Ronnie Brown, Joseph the Die was 18. And then that's when you get into Danian Tomlinson was 18, Brandon Jacobs was 19, Ryan Matthews, Jay Ajayi, Larry Johnson. You low for Brandon Jacobs. Yeah. But then again, Brandon Jacobs had longer arms, you know. Under, yes, you know, well, he, was, yes he, was, he was a giant. Which, yes. and, and that's the thing, too, is when it came to long arms, because I did another sort of test to see the differences, the the differences between the bottom 25 percentile to the next 25 percentile was only about three reps in terms of the average. So if you have really, really short arms, you can do about, the average is about nine more reps than a guy that has top 25 percentile arm length, if that makes any sense, in terms of the averages, at least. Um because I know that that's there's a lot of people that want to compare guys who have long arms, long arms doing the bench versus guys who have short arms doing the bench, and it really just depends on you know the percentile that you're in, arm length wise, and the differences. Again, the difference was between certain areas was not really that big, but it definitely is a bigger thing if you have like really short arms versus guys with really long arms, I guess. But when it came to Running backs, I mean, it was just, you know, again, 16 and up, 19 is where all those guys were. Marshawn Lynch was 20. Chester Taylor and Michael Turner were 22. Harry Foster was 23. Jamal Charles, Travis Henry was 23. Ray Rice was 23. Matt Forte was 23. Uh, Brian Westbrook was 26. Which is super Danny impressive because he weighed because he weighed about 190 something pounds. Right. Yeah. Uh, D'Angelo Williams was 25. Chris yep. Chris Wells, Beanie Wells was 25. Richard Mendenhall was 26. And I just want to. Oh, Le'Veon Bell was 24. I'm, I'm trying to find Adrian Peterson. Hmm. I don't know if he did the bench. Yeah, I was wondering. He, I mean, I'm sure he would have done well, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah. He, he's a guy that sure. enjoys time in the weight room. <laughs> but yeah, but the, the bench at running back is just more of a prerequisite thing. You know, if you hit, if you hit 15. Uh, the way I have it is, if you hit 16 reps, then that's starter quality. If you hit 18 reps, then you get into, like, the higher sort of stuff. But it really is not that big of a difference, obviously. Because okay. there really isn't there isn't that big of a difference between 16 to 30 when it comes to quality outcomes and stuff like that. 
So I just kind of leave it as a benchmark. So it's not super yeah. predictive is what you're saying. Yeah. You know, you just want to hit that area, and then that's really about it, you know, in terms of what you want a guy to do. Which I know some people can't take that. You know, they want to, you know, they want to give a guy a lot of credit for getting 31 reps. But when there really isn't that big of a difference in terms of 31 reps versus 20 reps, well, why would you care? I don't know. That's just me. Because I know that some people do weighted stuff when it comes to that stuff, and I don't really agree with that. If there isn't a big difference between those particular positions of percentiles. And, yeah, Adrian Peterson didn't do the bench. Thanks a lot, Adrian Peterson. Yeah, I think yeah. he did. <laughs> really he was coming off a – oh, he's coming off a, a broken collarbone. He was hurt. Why. Yeah, yeah, he was hurt, yeah. Whatever. That was, the, that was really the big concern about it, Peterson was that he was a guy that had a couple of fairly significant injuries in his collegiate career, but – and, of course, has had a couple of significant injuries in his professional career, but has still managed to have a really good career. Yep. And we've got to talk, quote unquote, edge. Um, I still think strength matters um, when it comes to, quote unquote, edge. I hear some, I see some people almost dismissing it, which worries me a little, uh, sort of brushing it aside as if it weren't really much of a concern. Well, look at his bend, you know, look how fast he is. Like, and that's cool and everything, but at some point, if you're playing in the last scrimmage, it turns into a fight at some point, and if you want to win a fight, you have to have some strength. What What have you found in terms of bench numbers at, at the quote-unquote edge position? Oh, at the edge position... The bench numbers were. I think I had it pulled up. That's right, and then. I already had it pulled up. That position. Oh, Kafusi was that. Oh, bench was a uh, twenty or higher. Okay, so who have been the most successful guys who are towards the lower end of that? Oh, the lower end of 20? Well, you know what I mean, right around 20. You said 20 is sort of the, you know, line of no return, it sounds like. But who have been the best guys that have been right around that number? Oh, um, let me see. So, uh, bench. Know that kind of nobody. <laughs> well, that's a telling, a telling response. 
I mean, uh, you know, I just said 20, 20 was just because there wasn't, when I was doing it, 20 was just the area where there were starters, and then there was also quality guys at 22, you know, guys that were, um, you know, pro bowlers, all pro guys that had 20, but there wasn't any difference between, you know, 20 and 32 and stuff like that. It was just 20 was kind of the hot spot in terms of that. Hmm. Maybe that Mike Vrabel's thing, too. Surprised I got that. Huh. Vrabel was a 20 rep? He was a 22 rep man, yeah. So are there any, you know, really good players who did come in like a 20, or do they have to be above that? You know, 20, 20 or higher. So okay. it's, it's just a... You know, it's it's just a benchmark, if you will. Right. I just want to get an idea of who was right there at the 20 mark who actually is a pretty good player, is what I was trying to find out. Oh, at the actual 20 spot was... Uh, like Chandler Jones. Oh, there you go. He's good. <laughs> he qualifies. Yeah, Chandler Jones is one. Um, I think this other guy got. Oh no, Sean Marion was twenty-five. Huh? I think I was looking at the wrong thing. I don't know. I have to get. I'll get back to you on that. Just for whatever reason, I had stuff. And it's different on this sheet. I've got a bunch of different spreadsheets, so. But, okay. But 20 was just the, the one area that, I mean, it was just like that. So. Gotcha. So we know that 20 is the cutoff mark, though. Pretty much in terms of, you know, starters, um, all pro, pro bowl type guys. 20 or higher is kind of the area. Gotcha. Okay. So strength matters. Now, we all know that quarterbacks almost never bench. So when you get strength numbers, the way you get strength or get your idea of strength from quarterback is mostly from lower body, from what they do broad and, and vertical. So what are the the cutoff marks, or are there, I guess I'll, that's the first question, are there cutoff marks for lower body strength at quarterback? Because I know you mentioned there have been some guys who have been pretty good who didn't exactly blow it out of the water in terms of testing. Well, it's funny thing you should ask that, because the one thing I've seen at quarterback is when it comes to explosive lower body strength, the guys who go get below average, like there isn't a there isn't a spot where you can't be a quarterback if you have really bad lower body strength. But it's not just because of Tom Brady, it's because there's lots of guys like Peyton Manning and you know, Tom Brady obviously and uh uh what's the other guy? You know, James Winston's kinda of below average, Matt Ryan is below average, Joe Flacco's below average. 
Drew Brees is below average. And the funny thing was is that when it came to multiple all-pro recognition at quarterback, at least since 1998, uh, there's been more guys with below below average lower body strength to get multiple all-pros than guys who have above average uh, so, lower body strength. So, so what I'm looking for is a guy at that position who's got a kind of a weak lower body. Well, it's... It, it just depends on how they – again, it comes back to how they win. You know, if if you are Kim Newton or Dante Culpepper or Robert Griffin III or Andrew Luck even to a certain extent or Michael Vick, any of those types of guys, then you should test like that type of a guy, if that makes any sense. Yeah, because it kind of goes back to like Johnny Manziel, where Johnny Manziel's athleticism – was not top 10 percentile in any kind of metric that came to quarterback. And yet this was a quarterback who won a lot with his legs, you know, and that, in that kind of perspective. So it's just a question that you bring up, which is just that if you, if you're saying that this guy is going to be a successful player, how he wins, is that going to translate that well to the NFL level? And I'm not saying that Johnny Menzel failed because of just athletic ability, but what I am right. saying is that if you're a guy who wins with your athleticism, like a Cam Newton or a Michael Vick or, you know, that type of a guy, then you better have really good athleticism, you know, to kind of match that. And so that's just kind of how I – I view that because a big reason why the guys with below average lower body strength are considered to be the really, really good players, or at least became really, really good players, at least in my opinion, is because they had to win, you know, they had to win in other ways. You know, they had to win with their intelligence. They had to win with their smarts. They had to be able to manipulate the pocket because they're not going to, you know, break tacklers and stuff like, you know, like if a, if a, if a pass rusher gets his hand on Tom Brady, for the most part, he's going down, you know, like Correct. Or, or same same with the true of Peyton as well, obviously. Exactly. So if you're that type of a guy, you have to win that way. So you either win that way or you don't you're you're not a quarterback anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So uh it's, it's that's just the sort of thing that I've noticed at quarterback is it really just tells you it's more it's more descriptive than predictive. You know, just because a quarterback is really athletic doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a really good quarterback. And just because a quarterback isn't very athletic doesn't mean that they're going to be a bad, you know, a bad quarterback either. Um, it just really comes down to how they win. Although it, although it would be interesting, which I haven't really got into yet, is to look and see if athletic quarterbacks are better than just pure pocket quarterbacks. But that's obviously a debate that, hasn't you know that's an ongoing debate so but that is something to kind of maybe bring up is guys like Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr and you know guys that can get yards with their legs are they better than the pocket guys is is sort of the question I guess or are they equal to the pocket guys in terms of you know production whatever you want to call it gotcha So, there, 
this is a position where it sounds like there's no particular number to look for when it comes to lower body strength. Uh, then let's move on to like three cone short shuttle. Are there numbers there? Because we always talk about having good feet that jump out or that you can point to and say, okay, here's the threshold. Hmm. Well, not really there either. You know, because that was one thing that I, I know Ben Albright was harping on was three cone or short shuttle or stuff like that. And then I usually point to the fact, well, Aaron Rodgers had a seven three nine three cone. You know, um, we don't say that Aaron Rodgers has bad feet. You know, uh, Don, Donovan McNabb at a seven two seven three cone. You know, uh, you know, so like when I was looking at three cone and that from that kind of perspective, I didn't really see a big correlation to having a really, really good short shoulder, really good three cone and it translating to, uh, uh, to like it, like none of that stuff really made a cutoff, I guess is what I'm trying to say at the, at the quarterback position. Interesting. You know, and anyway, I mean, Matt Ryan had a seven four, cretone. Yeah, but I don't hear, but I don't hear people <laughs> really saying that. Matt, and again, I know some people debate. <laughs> people people debate Matt Ryan in terms of you know how good he is and stuff, but I don't think people would say that he has terrible feet. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say that a hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, you know what I'm saying. So like, I I think that that's a little played out maybe but i don't know but i do have a bigger sample size than albright so that might be the issue you know if i just reduced my sample size to 10 years and then the data would say something different but at least from the stuff that i have i haven't really seen uh a big thing saying hey you have to have this type of a three count or this type of a short show in terms of outcomes and stuff like that it just isn't there there's no correlation Okay, so are there any physical metrics for quarterbacks that seem to be at all predictive, or are all of them merely descriptive? I mean, the the only other one which I did get a decent amount of data on, but I didn't get a, a ton is, you know, hand size. Uh, hand size stuff because I do know that a lot of people have talked about hand size at the quarterback position and people lose their minds that they don't have uh, big hands and you know stuff like that and I there's and there's a slight correlation you know in terms of that um, you know hand size at the, at the quarterback position uh, and obviously a lot of that probably has to do with you know being able to grip the ball and manipulate the ball and, and stuff like that. Uh, but but it's such a it's such a small amount. You know, it's like you know Eli Manning has nine inch hands. You know, yeah, uh, which is threshold. That's you know, it's not big. But it's not big. It's over the threshold. People lose their minds when you go below nine inches. Exactly. But I just haven't. And maybe you should lose your mind. But to me, I I don't like. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, is like nine hand size is bottom 10 percentile. 
in terms of yes. hand size at quarterback. But so you're telling me that if a guy is in the five percentile area of hand size, or you know the the ten percentile of hand size, but if he's in the five percentile, then it's a problem. I don't I don't think that there's enough data to back that up, and I don't think that there's enough. Like I don't think that there's enough stuff to make a clear judgment on that. It's similar to like offensive linemen and arm length, and that you know the the threshold for it begins at 32 inch arm length when it comes to tackles, and yet 32 inch arm length is the bottom 10 percentile. Um, it's like it's like right there. So if as long as you get in the the 10 or higher area, you're great. But it's such there's not a clear distinction i guess you know like there's not you don't have to be above average you don't have to have, like being be, having above average arm length or hand size excuse me when it comes to quarterback doesn't give you that big of an advantage so in terms of long-term success so it's just a thing where i kind of question the validity of it even though there is a threshold even though there is a a a point of departure or whatever you want to call it at the quarterback position. I just don't think that there's enough data there to make a clear distinction on it is all I'm trying to say. As much okay. as people want to, you know, point at the hand size and then look at something on tape and then back up, which I think is also an issue, you know, which is where people look at a guy's hand size and make judgments based on the hand size versus what they're actually doing on a football field which happens a lot too. Right. And then of course, and then of course you, you for, basically you form judgments on a player based on the number versus what they're actually doing. And I don't think that's a good way to approach data work. Uh, the ever popular confirmation bias. Well, yeah, you know, like it's like if a guy, if Teddy, it's like, remember Teddy Bridgewater? I mean, Teddy Bridgewater had the same hand size as Jimmy G and yet, Jimmy G was getting praised and Teddy Bridgewater was getting vilified over the same hand size. Yep. So it's like, what's the point of even, or at least with those people, what's the point of you paying attention and talking about hand size like you know what you're doing when you do that? Like, well, remember, remember, remember the build, all the sturm and drum over RG3's build? RG3 is built almost identically to Aaron Rodgers. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers earlier. If yeah. you remember the fact that one is white and one is black and, you know, a few other minor differences, you would see the two of them, you know, from behind, naked, whatever it is, something that prevents you from knowing which one is which, their builds are almost literally identical, Chip. Oh, yeah. Definitely. But people just kind of make that assumption. So it happens. So, so, I mean, that's all I would really say about hand size. And also, Michael Vick had eight and a half inch. Yes. Yes, he does. They're very thick. I mean, I've seen him up close. Yes. He has very thick hands, like thick palms. Like a, I, I don't even describe them. Like, if you see someone who maybe done a lot of martial arts training or um, maybe a drummer, like their palms are thick. Like his palms, like they're like, like a big old Belgian waffle. Um, so he's right. got palms that are probably like, I don't know, in just pure depth or thickness, probably two, I don't know, two and a quarter inches or something. They're very thick. 
but he doesn't have long fingers. He's got short fingers and a very thick palm. Yes, yeah, so well, I think maybe maybe we should be measuring palms. You know, I don't know. You know, but uh, but yeah, that's that's my basic point. I guess is just that I I think can size in general is a thing that there just isn't enough data. Same same thing with uh, radar gun stuff is that um, even though I do agree that there's something there may be something to it because there's only like 160 players in the actual sample that just isn't enough to say that any of that stuff is statistically significant in terms of data because 160 players there's a lot of players don't get me wrong but a general sample size at least in the scientific community is about a thousand data points right right so when you have 160 that's not enough so if you had like ten times that many, you'd have something. Is basically what you're saying, right? Or at least you would have the the chances of error. You know, again, margin of error. You know, again, the election's coming up, but margin of error is basically the chances that the sample that you took may be wrong. You know, maybe inaccurate. Um, a error may have occurred in terms of uh, you know the result that you got. You know, the bigger the sample size is, the less of a chance that that that, that error occurs. Right. So when you have only 160 players in your sample, which is the main issue, because I, I don't, when a lot of guys on, you know, draft Twitter or whatever, when they do articles about data stuff, uh, I don't mind them doing it. I just always kind of point out to some of these guys that you only have one year worth of data. So that's nice, but you need to have more to, to, to make the kind of conclusion, at least to make the conclusions you're making. Because um, a lot of times they make sweeping conclusions based on, uh, you know, one year worth of data, which just isn't enough data. This isn't, it's not enough to really make one judgment or the other about it in terms of accuracy and stuff. Right. So people usually assume that the two positions where freakish athletic ability matter most are going to be wide receiver and cornerback. And that's the assumption that people make. Has that proven mostly to be the case? I mean, in your, do you see the freaks sort of rising to the top at those two positions to sort of validate people's assumptions, or is there something else going on there? Hmm. You know, I I think it's all in the eye of the beholder, you know? Uh, th- though I would say that when it comes to the edge position and uh, in all other positions in general, it's height can can clear a lot of sins. And what I mean by that is you can have an offensive tackle or a, a defensive end or somebody like that who is six foot six and not you know not above average ath- athlete, but you know is average. And they could have a career when other guys that are shorter with that type of athleticism don't really have as long of a of a career um, from that kind of perspective. But, I mean, it's all in the eye of the beholder. I mean, and also it's who you think are the best cornerbacks in the NFL. You know, because if you think that the best cornerbacks in the NFL are Richard Sherman and Josh Norman and stuff like that, those guys are actually average athletes at the cornerback position based on data. But if you're one of those people that thinks that Patrick Peterson 
and Darrell Revis at least a couple of years ago. Obviously now he's you know kind of beat up, but if if you're one of those people that thought Darrell Revis or Keith Talib are the best cornerbacks in the NFL, um, then then you would be an athlete guy, right? I mean you know if that's what you want to say. So I I think it just depends on what happens each year. You know what I mean? I I, I feel like when it comes to cornerback and that sort of stuff. Um, you don't need to have top 10 percentile to be a really good player. You just need to have one or two athletic traits that are really, really good to set you above the pack. And I think that's pretty much true at all positions. Because that, that was the big thing about Joey Bosa is, is people were, you know, saying Joey Bosa is, you know, not, a, you know, he didn't pass force players or whatever because of blah, 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 and all this other kind of stuff. And yet, when it came down to it, Joey Bosa didn't have top 10 percentile explosiveness or top 10 percentile speed for his size, but he had top 1 percentile uh, flexibility for his size. So, and on top of all his production. So, if if you're one of the people that was saying, oh, Joey Bosa is not going to be a really good player because he's not an elite athlete, it's edge position, then you don't really know what you're talking about because he had one aspect of his athleticism that was so much better than everybody else that you could easily say that he could be a star player based on that one athletic trait. And that's the case at every position that I've seen. There's guys who only have one aspect of their athleticism that is elite, and they're able to take that that type – they're able to harness that one thing that's special about them and turn themselves into a special player. And that's at every single position that I've seen. So who most resembles Bosa? I mean, in terms of athletic profile, who's the most like him? Well, Jared Allen. Oh, there we go. But a more flexible but a more flexible Jared Allen. Which I think is kind of scarier, honestly. <laughs> Well, that sounds like a good thing. <laughs> I mean, a good thing to have on your team. Yeah, exactly. I think a whole lot of people sign up to have one of those. Okay, we'll go back one more year. 2014. Once again, as always, there were a whole bunch of people who were supposed to be free. A, a good number of them were something other than free. So who amongst that group in 2014 were actually freaky, were actually guys who were, you know, 10 percentile across the board guys? Well, and you know Odell Beckham Jr. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Was obviously <laughs> one of those guys. Um, he was the most athletic wide receiver in that class, and was a guy that a lot of people. Again, like you know, you, the whole ah, I didn't see it coming type of stuff. <laughs> when you have a guy like like him who comes out and he's top ten percentile on every single thing, and the one thing that you just can't get over is his height. Well, I don't I know think why the problem, people get stuck on that. 
I think the pro- I think the problem's you, you know, like that's you know, like that that's the problem. It's not Oda Beckham Jr. It, it's it's you, because uh, I don't know how you could look at that and, and go, oh, no way, this guy's gonna, you know, blah blah blah, you know, type of thing. Right. Um. Yeah, my comparison, Mike. Yeah. While he was still in college, I mean, I compared him to Lin Swan, and I. I've stuck by it. I still think he's the most like Lin Swan of any player I've seen since I first fell hard for Lin Swan <laughs> during his sophomore year at USC um, way back in, God, 1972. Uh, I've been, <laughs> so he reminded me, that's the player he most reminds me of, the body control, the ability to levitate and, and just ridiculous things that people just can't do. He he does. And Lin exactly. Swan's a great athlete, obviously, as well. I mean, oh, not, yeah. not to believe the obvious. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one guy that was said to be a freak, who is kind of a... I mean, you know, Jadavion Connolly was a freak. He just wasn't... He was kind of like... Uh, that one guy. He's kind of like the other guy said. He's two-thirds a freak. He's like Amari Cooper where, you know, his explosiveness and his speed was 99 percentile in both, but right. his flexibility was 80 percentile. So, okay. so, you know, his flexibility wasn't as good as other stuff, and people were basing, they were using that as a way to say that he's not going to be a good player because of this kind of stuff, um, which okay, sure, um, I don't know. He, so he said he was going to be a bust, but as you know, a lot of that stuff was based on stuff like effort and the love of the game and stuff like that, where they weren't looking at the injury history and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. That was the most bizarre thing to me was Clowney, just because you would have beat writers saying that Clowney showed up one hour into the practice, you know, and like, like basically they were portraying that as well. He just shows up whenever he wants to show up, look entitled athlete when he was showing up one hour later, because he was trying to keep himself healthy during the season. So they were trying to limit his practices so that he would not have the bone spurs flare up. But anyways, um, not to rehash stuff, but Clowney's become a good player. In my opinion, I mean, he was, you know, obviously he missed the first year of his career, but the second year he was um, very impactful in terms of, uh, you know, solo tackles and tackles for loss and stuff like that. Um, and, it's, you know, he's still a good, he's a good player, uh, even though he's going to continue to get the sort of injury knocks and stuff, which is, you know, again, he, that was the one thing that I was afraid of was injury stuff. But, you know, he's been a good player. Um, Greg Robinson obviously hasn't <laughs> been – as good as uh, uh, you know, people thought he was going to be, but <laughs> I would, but I would say that he technically was a freak as an athlete. I mean, he had very, I mean, he had basically the same type of. I mean, he was like a carbon copy of Jason Peters in terms of athletic ability, or well, uh, Trent Williams even. <laughs> I mean, he was. He was a carbon copy. I mean, he had the same amount of explosiveness, same amount of speed, and the same amount of flexibility. Um, obviously, Jason Peters was, you know, coming out of Arkansas, he was not a number one overall pick. He was a guy that was, you know, undrafted, and he was developed yes. 
into that. Um, and that was the main thing with Greg Robinson that everybody, I, you know, you can't just say, oh, blah, blah, blah. You have to admit that he was someone who was raw and didn't have a lot of experience in pass protection. And, you know, like that's just a fact. So um, the, there's a bit of development there. Like, in other words, like, if Greg Robinson goes to another team, which is kind of looking like that might happen, and he yes. gets with a good offensive line coach, don't be surprised if he's one of those guys that has, like, a, a second, a better part of his career in the in the latter, Tom, I guess. Tom Cable can't wait to get his hands on Greg Robinson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, that type of thing. But, I mean, he was a freak athlete. It's just that, you know, you can't just assume that because the guy's a great athlete, I mean, there's a bit of, tape and stuff like that involves stuff, you know, um, at, at uh, offensive line, especially the sort of, sort of assumption that you have to be a great athlete to be an offensive lineman is false. At the same time, it is helpful, but, but yeah, he was one of those guys that was kind of weird like that. Uh, Khalil Mack, of course, was in that class. <laughs> yeah. and that was my favorite player the entire draft class. I mean, I, I liked Beckham, but I loved Mack. Right. God. Oof. <laughs> Things I saw him do, man. I mean, I saw some tequila spikes in him. I saw I saw a lot of people. <laughs> uh, oof. Just so powerful. Oh, my God. And he was a freak athlete. You know, he was top 10 percentile on everything. Um, he was, like, he basically, he's almost a daily as Thomas. You know, he is wow. quite, he's, you know, he's about 15 dudes away from Dalius Thomas. Okay. <laughs> but that's away. not far. <laughs> you know, Dalius Thomas is like the most athletic version of what he is. Um, but again, he was 90 percentile in every explosive speed, dynamic speed, all that kind of stuff. Um, with the, with the only weird thing production wise, the only weird thing in production wise with him was he had really, really high solo tackle market share, really, really high TFL market share, but his sack market share was 80 percentile. Um, and I know that that's something that Oakland fans gripe about occasionally, especially this year in particular. Is they're like, why isn't he getting a lot of sacks? And I go, because t- uh, teams only have to worry about Khalil Mack. You know, they don't have to worry about Jihad Ward. They don't have to worry no. about any of those other guys that we have on the team. Um, so why, like it's, it's I don't know it's dumb. Now, that was the thing with Khalil Mack is I mean he had a really good rookie season in terms of market share wise. It's just yeah. he didn't have a ton of you know. I mean his his rookie season was really really good. It's just people were like oh it wasn't good because he didn't have ten sacks or whatever. But statistically speaking the Raiders in general didn't have a lot of sacks. So like in general like if your main guy is a sack guy like if you're main if you only have one guy that's trying to get sacks then yeah his, his numbers are going to dip and that i think that's the big thing with um with uh, khalil mack but yeah he's one of those guys that was kind of like that but then honestly the 14 class had a lot of freak guys like another freak guy was you know mike evans you know cool. was a yeah was a was a freak kind of guy uh he was um pretty much you know, he was he was another one of those guys that again he he wasn't Calvin Johnson, he wasn't Dez. He was he was more athletic than Dez in terms of uh you know, his overall athleticism. 
but he sure, just wasn't right. quite there in terms of uh, Calvin Johnson. But he was really explosive, really fast. Um, and, and flexible. It's just, again, Calvin Johnson is one of one. Like, there's only one <laughs> Calvin Johnson. Yeah. yeah um, there, there's is. nobody else. So, it's there can only be one. So, it's, it's, it's that's the only issue with Mike Evans. But, yeah, he was one of the guys that was kind of like that. Anthony Barr was another freak athlete guy. Uh, his thing to me it, – it, I don't know if the Vikings, because the thing is, I I was looking into the Vikings and their data department, um, and a lot of stuff they were using was only 10 years worth of data, which is another problem, Vikings. Like, you need to bump your your data stuff up. But they were using only 10 years worth of data. But the one thing about Barr that I thought was really intriguing was his athleticism was, he was basically Brian Urlacher, but without the same production as Brian Urlacher. No, no, we're close. Yeah, but, but, but you're right. I mean, the size, would, the flexibility, right, change direction, flexibility, right. closeness, yeah. So, like, there's – maybe they didn't do this, but, like, if I was a data guy, or at least was more experienced in terms of the stuff, maybe I might have looked at Anthony Barr and said, this isn't a pass rusher. This is, a, you know, a Sam linebacker if you will, kind of like what he's being used as right now, you know, Um, more of a linebacker kind of guy, because size wise, you know, he's not like 260 pounds and he's not a full-time edge size wise guy coming out of UCLA, but he does have athleticism. That's almost carbon copy to Brian Urlacher. So you could, if you're Mike Zimmer, you could go, Hey, I'll coach him up. I'm a really good linebacker coach. And then true, you know, turn him into stuff. Although I don't think, and that's the thing, I know it's debatable, but I don't think Anthony DeBarn is an elite linebacker or edge guy. I think he's a really good player. He's exceeded my expectations, but I, I definitely think that the fact that he wasn't Brian Larkin production-wise, that may have some effect on his overall career, I guess, as well as I'm trying to say. Um, like, you know, right. if Mike Zimmer gets fired for whatever reason, then something might happen, I guess, you know, if he doesn't get <laughs> the right coaches around him and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, he's he's one of those types of guys in terms of, uh, man, there are so many freaks in that class. And then, of course, it's Taylor Lewan, who was yes. a, a freak athlete. Inter- oh, wow, that, that's crazy. Just looking at this class, I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, nobody saw this. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, Taylor Lewan was a, was a guy who had at least, if I'm remembering this correctly. Uh, let me see. Staley there. Taylor Dewan. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, Taylor Dewan was basically almost Joe Staley athlete. You know, in terms Which of athletic. really impressive. Almost. He was almost that. He was the same explosiveness, but speed and dynamics he was a little off, flexibility-wise. But it was really close, like six-due difference, which is really close. But, yeah, he, he was a freak athlete, obviously. Uh, Aaron Donald was a freak for, you know, obvious reasons. Um, he was another guy who, in terms of his athletic testing, was ridiculous. He was basically Geno Atkins, but more athletic and more productive, you know, in terms of that perspective. Um, and, of course, at the Senior Bowl, he, he, he literally – it, 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 you know, again, like I, like I told most people, being at the Senior Bowl, of Aaron Donald was like watching Animal Planet. 
you know, because it was just one man, you know, killing other dudes and people just watching and like, oh my gosh, you know, what did he do to that poor man type of type of thing? But it makes sense because of the the testing kind of stuff. Uh, Ryan Chazier was a freak athlete too. Um, no, I don't know how well Ryan Chazier has done on the on the dealers. Uh, I mean, you would know more than me. Um, but but at least when it came to athleticism, he was uh, you know he was top ten percentile on everything. But um, what what's your what's your experience been with Ryan Chazier on the Pittsburgh Steelers? Oh, hello? Oh, hello? So would 2014 be the freakiest of the last several years, or is there another year that stands up like that one in the last, say, 15 or 20? I mean, compared to 2012, uh, well, I think it's 2012. Let me double check. Yeah, 2013 that, and then 2012 was people like people like that. Huh. 2011. I'm just kind of double checking. There's people like that. I'd say it rivals 2011. Okay. Is what I'd say. It's close. Because, you know, again, 2011, you had the most athletic quarterback ever in Cam Newton. Um, you had one of the most athletic edge rushers ever in Von Miller. You had one of the most athletic wide receivers ever in A.J. Green. You had the most athletic cornerback, well, Julio Jones, excuse me, not A.J. Green. But you had the most athletic quarterback in Patrick Peterson. Uh, you know, Tyron Smith is one of the more athletic offensive tackles. J.J. Watt is, of course, J.J. Watt. Robert Quinn, <laughs> freak, freakish. Uh, Mike Pouncey, not so much. Cam Jordan was freakish. Uh, Prince Makamura was basically Jalen Ramsey, um, which is freakish. Muhammad Wilkerson was freakish. So, I mean, it's it's close. It's really close. I mean, I haven't, like, compared numbers number-wise, but in terms of, you know, quantity, that would be another sort of thing. But in terms of just pure athletic ability and stuff, I'd say it's about a tie, but it's really close. 
Okay, so 2011, 2014, got it. So let's let's talk sort of the reverse, sort of like a treat or whatever. Guys that maybe people didn't talk about or think about as much in terms of freakishness, but surprisingly turned out to be freaks. Like guys that weren't touted, they weren't guys that went early in the first, they weren't guys that played for Alabama or USC or Ohio State. Were sort of some of the, the hidden treats that might have turned out to be really athletic, but people slept on them for whatever reason from the you know any of the past drafts of the past several years. Um, well, Trey Turner. Oh, okay. yeah, just to stick with the 2011, uh, well, not 11, 14 class. Uh, you know, he was a guy who was uh, really athletic, fast for his really really fast for his size too, and um, there was no. I don't know why he fell that far, other than he played at LSU and LSU coached badmouth him because he left early. Like that's all I got. I don't. I mean, <laughs> tape wise, he was my, one of my highest rated guards that year, and athletic wise, he was really athletic and he fell as far as he did, which is weird. Joe Batonio too, and Joe Batonio was the most athletic guard in that class, um, and uh, he fell to the second round, which is a little. Weird. That's the funny thing about the 2014 class. It's like it's like anything. Hindsight is, is uh, 20, you know, 2020. But it is kind of funny to look back at that class and go, "You took Eric Ebron over Odo Beckham Jr. instead of Odo Beckham Jr." You know, like you know, there's a lot of stuff like that in those classes in terms of players and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he was one of those types of guys that was sort of like that. Um, I mean, Jay Ajayi kind of makes sense because of the injury stuff, but he was basically Steven Jackson athlete at running back, which is weird. Um, David Johnson, too, was Steven Jackson level athlete. More oh my athletic God. than Steven Johnson, actually. Wow. Yeah, Steven, Steven Jackson. Jackson. Steven, oh, David Johnson. Yeah, that's yeah guy David that, Johnson. I mean, when people talk about, you don't have to tell me which guy it is. Like, just throw the tape on and I'll spot the guy who's the can't miss. I don't like to call FCS running backs can't miss prospects, but if you watched even just two games of David Johnson, I would dare you not to say, okay, that guy's a can't miss prospect. I mean, the things he did, the speed, the power, the hands, the football IQ. I mean, it was all, he had everything. He was so complete, Jim. In college, you know, forget, you know, NFL. I mean, if you watched even, right. even as a junior at UNI, you're like, this is one of the top three or four running backs in the country. Exactly. But he played at FCS level and um, reasons. So <laughs> there you go. That's the thing about data stuff, too, is, you know, Jatavis Brown was the only linebacker in that class that scored 11 out of 12 in terms of metric success scores. You know, he had athleticism. He had ridiculous production at at Akron. Um, 
And even size-wise, sure, he was 5'11", but he was 5'11", you know, 220-plus pounds. So the fact that Jatavis Brown is really successful and people are going, who? We didn't know. Is kind of dumb. I mean, Jatavis Brown was more athletic than Darren Lee, people. Like, yep. And yet people just were like, meh. Didn't play at Ohio State. So, you know, he must, must not be that good. But, yeah. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense to me, but yeah, he's he's one of the guys that I didn't. I, I, I what whatever. Um, Le'Veon Bell. There's a ton of running backs. I mean, Le'Veon Bell, you know, is a guy that a lot of people were down on in that process, obviously. But he was somebody who was like a more athletic Matt Forte in terms of his athleticism. Um, yeah, I was not thrilled. Um... I was when when we when I thought we had selected him, I was like, really? And I was like, okay, I know you know. Tomlin wants to get back to a little more power running, grounded power. What I didn't realize was that I was going to see a whole new, completely different version of that dude yeah. when he showed up. A whole new world, yeah, like you know, totally different guy, but. The stuff was there. I mean, the production was there. The athleticism was there. It obviously was just people turning their nose up based on tape, which is understandable, you know. And then again, he's also been a bit of a headache only because of the the drugs and the, you know, the other stuff. Um, but yeah, basically, people go, you can find running backs anywhere. I wouldn't necessarily say that as much as not looking at the sign. When it comes to him, at least, um, which was kind of uh, weird. Um, Ray Rice is is there too. I mean, obviously Ray Rice is short, which is only real knock on him, but he was legitimately ridiculous athlete in terms of speed and uh, dynamic speed, and he went low because you know height and stuff like that. But he had everything except for those things. Um, same thing with uh, Marie Jones Drew, who. I believe to this day still remembers every guy that was taken over him. So, Reese Jones is definitely that type of guy in terms yeah, of that was a guy I loved. The only thing I didn't love about him was UCLA, but everything else I loved about Reese Jones Drew. And of course, I had to hear people talk about there hasn't been a long-term something something running back who's been shorter than five foot so seven ever or so something. What? And so what? You know, <laughs> I mean. But see, some, people would say to you, but Jim, isn't that a metric? Aren't you a metrics guy? Wouldn't it's a you data also say thing, But the one thing I've learned over the years um, of doing this, which is surprising to say, but yes, over the years of doing this, is that sometimes you just have to look at, you know, step, take a step back and look at the big picture. You know, it's like with Russell Wilson. You know, Russell Wilson was a guy who – based on his touchdown interception ratio, based on his efficiency in college, based on the wonderlick and his athletic testing. This was a guy who had all the same markers of being a great quarterback as Andrew Luck. Same one. With the only difference being <laughs> height. Right. Yeah. That's it. Sometimes you just have to take a step back, like what Jatavis Brown. You know, like, I mean, I had Jatavis Brown as a first rounder in that class based on, you know, based on the board I made that year, I had him as that because the tape was great. Everything else was great. There's no reason the why he should. Great. He could, it's funny because 
maybe, I remember people was going all crazy about Miles Jack. It's like, what would happen if you ever saw Javis Brown? That's what we're thinking. I don't know. You'd probably lose your mind, but or or you might go, well, he's playing at Akron, so this tape uh, must be lying. Which is like, well, I thought you said the tape doesn't lie, but whatever. Um, you know, it's <laughs> you just have to take a step back and look at the big picture. To me, in terms of draft evaluation, and when it comes to Reese Jones, Drew, you just have to take a step back and go, okay. Yeah, he's short, but he's a ridiculous athlete, and he was really productive at the college level. So I have a feeling my instincts kick in and go, you know what? I think he's going to supersede that. You know, he's going to break the trend, whatever. And, yeah, it's a risky proposition, but sometimes you just have to go with your gut when it comes to some of this stuff, you know. Like it isn't all – it isn't an exact science, I guess, is what I'm trying to say except for the fact that most of the science stuff tells you that this guy's going to be good, except for this one thing. Sometimes you just have to go, well, that one thing is not enough for me to sever my ties, I guess. Right. If that makes any sense. I mean, if, if, if everything is right about a player, except for one thing, are you really going to have that one thing be the ultimate decider on it? I would oh, say gosh, he only has eight and seven-eighths-inch hands. Undraftable, off the board, right? That's what you're saying. Exactly. You know, it shouldn't be that way. You should look at the the body of work and then make a decision. And I think Ray Jones is an example of that. I think Russell Wilson is an example of that. Um, and where a player plays, like the next guy on this list, Vincent Jackson. You know, yeah. um, Vincent Jackson was a guy, athletically speaking, who – was almost Andre Johnson level athlete, you know. <laughs> and when I say almost, I don't mean like oh he's a couple like almost that close in terms of his overall athleticism, but because he played in the you know lower level division, we don't know how good he's gonna be. You know, we just you know hopefully he'll work out. You know, stuff like that is it happens. <laughs> happens for obvious reasons. Um, you know, Brian Westbrook is another one of those guys. You know, Westbrook was the most productive uh, FCS oh. running back in terms of market share production. Super explosive also, but yeah, so, yeah he was something to, something to see. <laughs> but yeah, but he was, you know, but that was another one of those guys who was, you know, like, like that, at least in terms of, uh, you know, a great athlete who was just kind of lost in the sauce for whatever reason. Um, another guy, and he and he's had some. He's he, you know he's he's become kind of injured, you know, but you know Victor Cruz. You know, to me, Victor Cruz is a guy that you know, based on his athleticism, he was Roddy White level athlete. Um, he was productive, really, really productive at UMass, but obviously was an undrafted free agent. Um, he was another one of those guys that I felt should have been valued more, you know, better on that particular year because he he was a really good athlete in terms of those types of uh of uh, markers and, and uh you know those types of stuff. Um you know I don't want to say Jimmy Graham but you kinda have to, right? Because you know he wasn't a first rounder, you know. Yeah. Sure. He was uh, kind of a gamble type of guy, which makes sense because Oh Jimmy Graham was a huge gamble. I mean I remember again I was very much a part of the draft community and I was like, well I mean, he's a project. I mean, you know, his talent is scary, but 
equally scary as the lack of times he showed up in his time playing in Miami. I mean, you could go three games of tape without finding a single, oh, that looked good, kind of play exactly. on Jimmy Graham. There, out of Jimmy you Graham. would be yeah. silent for three games, literally three games. You could go, Jim, watching, still looking for Jimmy Graham. I mean, I'm not even talking about catching the ball. There's any kind of impressive play. Like, well, maybe like a flashy block. Maybe he'll, like, nothing. You know, oh, okay, you made a special teams play. Hey, nice PAT, you know, block. I mean, but you have to really look <laughs> to find plays where Jimmy Graham just sort of showed up. It's like, huh. But, but yeah, obviously. He's the most yeah. athletic tight end in the NFL. And it also the right. biggest mismatch. I mean, he's tallest. He has right. the longest arms. He's the biggest hands. Right. You know, now again, I would still say based on production, I'd probably have him as a day two guy. You know, like that's probably where if I was in that class and I was thinking with my brain, you know, as an athlete, because of all these indicators, you know, he'd be worth a risk in day two because of the potential. But you know, but everything else lined up. Uh, Like I said, the arm length, the hand size, um, everything else like that matched up. So, but and it worked out. You know. But yes. there definitely was some, you know, scariness there. Yeah, you could yeah, say. I'd say it's a great deal of risk because you're basically asking a guy to. I mean, once again, you hear the the term um, term that they use. Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, you often hear people. Oh, yeah, the old classic. Better. He'll be better as a as a pro. I mean, you hear it a lot, but it turns out like that's like a one in twenty proposition. Like, and it only happens oh. in certain positions, you know, like it's right. It's tight end. You know, tight end is those. really one of the main ones where, but but he's the only reason why. Like that's the thing. He's the only reason. Him and Antonio Gates are like the only two reasons why that rule even exists. So, you know, <laughs> kind of makes you think about the rule. But yeah, I mean. It's only those guys that really that the rule exists because of those people, but that's it. Um, and then you look at the testing, you kind of go, huh? You know, well maybe that's why, you know, type of thing. Um, you know, because because Jordan Cameron was was deaf. I mean, again, uh, Jordan Cameron wasn't a freak freak. You know, he was freakish in terms of speed and dynamic speed, but he wasn't freakish in terms of explosiveness for his size. Um, but but he's another guy that kind of falls into that because he was really athletic. You know, and similar, um, but it was just kind of the opposite of Graham. And that Graham was more explosive and fast than he was flexible, and Cameron was more flexible and fast than he was explosive. And of course, they, you know, Cameron is the guy that's kind of fallen on hard times, you know, because of stuff. But, um, you know, but that's just kind of a guy that's kind of like that, I guess, in terms of those types of things. At the edge position, I mean, there's a couple guys. I would say, I mean, Connor Barwin. He's a guy right. who was also because, tight end. <laughs> yeah, he's a tight end. You know, I I remember that draft class. Like, you know, he's, is he a tight end? Is he a defensive end? Well, we'll find I, out. I'll be yeah. honest. I'll be honest. I liked his tight end tape better. <laughs> yeah. I was a little disappointed when I, I heard he was going to play defense. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. But but he's a guy that at least if somebody said in that draft class that, oh, this is a freak athlete, you take a gamble on. Yeah, I agree. Like he, he yeah. was a above average athlete in terms of you know, again, he he was a freak athlete in terms of being ninety percent tall in every sort of metric, you know. He was kind of like a better version of Big Beasley, if you will. Um in terms of uh 
testing because he just is. I mean, he's bigger, he, you know, more explosive. Like he just is. But yeah, he's one of those guys kind of like that. Um, the other guy at but I think he did drugs too. Um, good names. Oh, I'm not Tom Ali. That's real. Uh, Justin Houston. Now, Justin Houston. Justin Houston had some character stuff. Yes. You know. Yes, he did. Um, and some drug stuff. Violations of team rules, kind of things. Yeah. Right. But he was, you know, ninety percent all and everything, and high ninety percent all and everything. speaking, <laughs> and production wise was ridiculous too. Yeah. Um. Because because, and I'm not making this a rule by any stretch of the imagination, but I want those things to match. If a guy is a character concern, like a you know, like a Randy Gregory or a uh, what's the other guy? Uh, Beckham. Well, Doriel Beckham. Oh, Doriel Greenback. Green Beckham. Doriel Greenback. So, yeah, okay. Right. right. If you're going to be that guy, you need to be Justin Houston in the sense that he was a freak athlete, legit freak athlete, who also had elite production in college. Randy Gregory didn't have elite production in college, and he nope. wasn't a freak athlete. Doro Green Beckham, you know, Dora Green Beckham wasn't an elite productive guy. No. And as an athlete, it's debatable. He wasn't really a freak. He had certain aspects of him that were 90 percentile, but he wasn't total package 90 percentile. <laughs> right. So if you are if you're that guy, at least to me. If you're if you're considered a character guy, because that's the other thing too. I just feel like if you're a character guy and your character stuff doesn't affect your production on the football field, then do you really have character problem? Like I don't know. Like I, just in terms of that, I guess. Like if you're a character guy, if you have issues with your character, and yet you're still able to be elite productive on the football field. Do you really have character problems? Because character to me is stuff that's affecting your ability to, to see the football field. It's affecting your ability to be a productive player versus, you know, violating team rules and, you know, stuff like that. But but who knows? I mean, I've never interviewed Justin Houston. Maybe he was a scary guy, you know. He obviously scares quarterbacks. But uh, in terms of, you know, other things, maybe he's scary. But I, I just never really quite – understood why he fell as far as he did just because of all those other indicators, I guess. Which I haven't done my character metric stuff either, and that's because that's just a project that's going to take a really long time, and a lot of the guys that I asked to help me out with it were not as, you know, reliable. It's a lot of stuff. I get it. But, you know. But he he was another one of the guys that was kind of you know, kind of like that in terms of uh, um, that kind of stuff. In terms of defensive tackle, it's kind of hard to really say because defensive tackle is a position where there's been a lot of athletes that were taken. Oh, I, I think, oh, yeah, the, the 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 best example, I think, a defensive tackle uh, would be uh, the guy I just mentioned uh, a couple a little bit ago in um, – 
Geno Atkins. You know. Yeah, he'll do. Because <laughs> he's, he's a guy, you know, like we talked about Andre Monroe. You know, Andre Monroe wasn't as athletic as Geno Atkins. But, you know, Geno Atkins was a guy who had top 10 percentile on everything athleticism. And he was a guy who had, was really productive, you know, at Georgia. But, again, he was, you know, six foot around there, you know. If you, yes. And around two hundred eighty eight right and around eighty eight two hundred and eighty eight pounds, so there were some concerns. <laughs> exactly. But like I said, you look at the body work, you know, you look at the production, and then you look at the athleticism, and then you just have to go and then you look at the tape, and then you just have to go, you know what? I think he's gonna be a good player. Let's take a chance. Yeah, I cannot tell you how flabbergasted I was that he kept falling, falling. And I was like, oh, please. I know he doesn't fit our scheme. Normally, I hate when we take players that don't fit our scheme. I'm like, you know what? If he's there, but we're picking in a third. Come on, Pittsburgh. Screw our scheme. We'll figure out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, how is he still there? I couldn't. It's like, did he do something? I was like, checking news. Like, did he, you know, did he do something, you know, like Murder stab a nun something. or something, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, something yeah. right before, like what? What did he get popped for drugs? Yeah. Wait. Wait. What? No, he was just short. <laughs> yeah. He was short, so he was a risk. He's short. Now, of course, they learned their lessons, sort of, with Aaron <laughs> Donald, sort of. You know, because they didn't let him fall to day two, but right, it is something again where. You gotta step. You know, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe if you have a bunch of people that you have to argue with, maybe it becomes harder. Obviously, but I just feel like you just have to look again. You have to look at the stuff and just go. You know what? Who cares? You know, all this other stuff matches up with all these other guys. Like this one thing isn't going to be the kit, the death. Like I've never seen just one thing being the death to a football player. Never. Like, I just haven't seen it, you know? I just haven't seen, like, the arm length being the determinate factor. Like, everything else was good. The tape was great. The athleticism was great. But because of that arm length, ooh, ooh, he's not good now. Like, that's never – I just – I refuse to believe that. I just think that it's – there's a lot of stuff where you just kind of get sucked into to, uh, to stuff where you don't – again, you take a step back. And assess the situation, and I think Geno Atkins is probably the biggest example of a guy that was kind of railroaded because of that stuff. You know, where you know he's too short, so he can't be. You know, we have to take him really low because of blah 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 blah. And that's 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 obviously not the case. You know, in terms of uh, in terms of him. Um, but yeah, there there yeah guys like him. Of course, David Davis Brown, I would say, is definitely that guy. Like you know, because I just mentioned him. I know it's only been eight games, but I think it's safe to say that he's playing really good, at least right now. Um, another guy that's kind of like that is Levante David, who I know there was a lot of debate about whatever, but, you know, he had 90 percentile uh, solo tackle market share with almost identical athleticism to Darren Lee, and yet he was, you know, considered meh to most uh, to most people. Um, and the same thing goes with Navarro Bowman. I mean, again, people forget Navarro Bowman was a 
Yep. He wasn't a first rounder. No, no, he was, no he was kind of a a lesser guy, and yet he had above average speed and above average dynamic speed for his size. Uh, significantly and above average speed and dynamic speed. Very productive, also. And very productive, also. So um, there's there's a bit of that. Which again, I just think it's. Is that what we're going to say now? You can find linebackers everywhere. That might be the next thing. I don't know. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't want to take a linebacker yeah, uh, too early. I could get a linebacker any old way. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh, it is another big one. Jamie Collins. Oh. It's the Jamie Collins. I'm going to uh, have to sit down so I can try to contain my enthusiasm. for Jamie Collins. Go ahead. I mean, he, again, this is a guy that he was – He's one in explosiveness, Bill. He's he's there's only one in terms of the explosiveness for his size <laughs> at the linebacker position. Um, it's more explosive than the daily Thomas. Like it's you know again, he's explosive. He's fast. The only major thing was flexibility. Also from Southern production. Miss. Something about those. Also from Southern Miss. He was really productive in, in sacks and tackles for loss, solo tackles, and everything else like that. But I don't know. Southern Miss. Hmm. I don't know what we don't know what to do with him. We don't know what his true position is. What? Come on, that, guys. When it's when it's like Jamal Ramsey, I mean Jalen Ramsey or um uh what's his name or uh Jack or whatever, or, or even Dion Jordan, all of a sudden these guys who don't really have a position, it's versatility for those guys. They're so versatile. Look what you can do. Look at Deion Jordan drop into coverage. And not really cover anything, but look at him drop. And people got all excited about it, man. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I don't know. It's just, uh, but yeah, he's one of those guys. And obviously, Bill Belichick was like, "Oh, find a position, you know, like that." You know, that obviously happened, but um, because he probably was looking at him and going, you know. Instantly fell in love is like, there's my linebacker. There's the guy I've been searching for oh. forever. Oh, you know, to do. Speaking of people I desperately wanted the Steelers to draft. Oh, God. It's like, oh, my God. He, he cleared everybody in the first round. He's still available. I'm like, oh, please, God, please. Ugh. Yeah, but he's, yeah, he's one of those types of guys. Um, in terms of cornerback, that's the one thing I'm going to really well. Because some of these guys are first-rounders. Yeah, most of them are first-rounders. At least the big name, you know, Keep Tlaib or Charles Woodson or Patrick Peterson and Darrell Revis. Those are first-rounders, obviously. Um, yes, yes. First-rounders, yeah. In terms of, you know, Antonio Cromartie. Is Antonio Cromartie your first-rounder? Uh, yes, both of the Cromarties were. Um, both Antonio and Dominic Rogers Cromarty. In fact, Dominic Rogers Cromarty was the seventh overall selection, which I think was the. Oh yeah, he's the first rounder. Yeah, well, right. I, of course. Um, yeah. I have to double check. But Antonio Cromarty was the more athletic one, though. But yeah. Um, right, right. But both of them were first rounders, and I believe he still holds the record for defensive backs. Uh, from the FCS in terms of draft position. I don't think there's ever been an FCS DB drafted higher than seven. <laughs> At least not since, you know, the modern 
definitions. I mean, there have been people who came from, you know, in the old, old days, from before but these schools weren't divided up the way they are now. I mean, there are small schools or small schools that would now be small schools uh, that had guys drafted really early in the old, old days. But but certainly since the term FCS or even 1AA has been used, I think that's the highest ADB from one of those schools that's ever been drafted with Stanley Rogers from Marty Lynn's seventh overall. Right. Well, I think Charles Tillman. Peanut didn't go there. He was a second rounder. Yeah, he was a second right. rounder. Right. I was say he was a second rounder. Uh, but I mean, seventh uh, overall is what Dominic Rogers was He was number seven in the whole draft. Yeah. <laughs> not, not the second, not the third. So that's the record. I'm almost certain of it for um, FCS or one double A deep the max. Yeah, oh, first round. Yeah, first round, first round. Hmm. So most of these guys are first round. Well, let me go to the short guys because that's obviously where the bias <laughs> happens. That is where the bias happens. Yeah, let me let me tell you. And short players. Uh huh. Yep. Angel Hall. Is that well, Jason Brett won the first. So that's well, he went. I mean, he was the best cornerback, but, you know, but, yeah, he technically went the first, so. Um, Antoine Winfield went in the first round, too, right? Yes. Yeah, um, he did. He played at Ohio was, Yes. And, right, if he'd gone to Akron, he would have been there for somebody to pluck in the, you know, middle of the fourth. But, uh, <laughs> but yes. He was, uh, and of course, you know, listed it generally listed at five foot nine. Uh, but God, what a great, great corner he was! He was a good tackler. He good instincts, could run, was very strong for his size. That was a huge win for him. Well, surprisingly, not a lot of corners. Hmm. In terms of you know guys that. Tessa like freaks. So apparently in the NFL, if you're a freak cornerback, they take you in the first, I guess. Yes. You know. Even even like I said, even if you come from the FCS, that's one of the few positions where if you show up, especially if you've got good size and you test great, suddenly they lose all that concern they have in other positions about the fact that you went to, you know, southeast Louisiana or, you know, Tennessee State or you know, uh, Appalachian, well, actually, App State's now uh, FBS. But, you know, I mean, they don't, they aren't, they aren't right, freaked right. out for whatever reason. If you're a corner and you've got size and you can run, they are willing to make exceptions for you, is what I've learned from watching uh, the process play out. So I guess at least safety. And at safety, a lot of these guys went first. Um, did Antoine Bethay, did he go in the first? He was not a first-rounder. Um, might have been a second. I can't remember exactly which round, but I know it wasn't the first. It was fairly early, but I think it was probably more like the third. About to guess. Right, but he, but he was a super-duper. Yeah, he went in the sixth round. But yeah, he was a super duper. Oh, wow, six. Okay. Who uh, <laughs> played at Howard? So. Yeah, I know he went. I, know he played at Howard. I watched him. Yeah, I know. I watched yeah. him. He was really, really good. The funny thing is, everyone was excited about a teammate of his 
named Jerome Mathis, who was this blazing fast wide receiver who I think the Texans drafted maybe in the second? Early. It was early. And I kept, you know, noticing this. I think they might have been a year apart. I can't remember. I think they were drafted maybe a year apart. Uh, but I kept noticing, uh, hey, they've got this pretty good DB that no one's really talking that much about who keeps showing up on tape. Play. I mean, because Mathis, despite all this speed, would disappear some games, except maybe as a return man. He'd have, he's also a really great return man. So I guess, you know, he gave you fairly consistent production as a return man, but there were some times when he was, you know, he would get shut out sometimes as a wide receiver despite being blazing bad. Exactly. Um, yeah, and the only other guys, uh, because Young Buchanan was a first rounder. Um, oh, yeah, Buchanan. He was another definitely player a guy that, that, yeah, the people kind of, yeah, on. Uh, the only two guys is Nick Collins and Eric Weddle. Nick Collins from Bethune Goodwin, so another uh, yep. FCS guy. Yeah, for those guys were, I mean, Nick Collins is really athletic. Eric Weddle was really athletic, but he was white. So, <laughs> yep. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, apparently a DB, not so much. In terms of, you know, athleticism. Oh, the only last guy I'll mention, now he hasn't exactly, you know, broken out, broken out 100%, but, you know, the safety from, uh, uh, from, the Tennessee drafted this year, you know, from Middle Tennessee State. Oh, they are. But that's because they don't they don't play him enough. <laughs> yeah, I know. But he he was a guy that uh was a freak athlete too. But but he's made some plays. He just isn't on the field enough. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, hey, why don't we play him more? <laughs> yeah, he's another he guy that's like a freak athlete. He kind of went later because um he played that uh you know. Middle Tennessee State. So, go figure. But, yep. But, yeah, I mean, you know, so, like, you know, there's freak athletes. Um, I think in terms of safety, freak at, like, the, the freakiest of freak would be Troy Palomalo at the short end of the stick, if you will. And then the freakiest on the tall end would be uh, Sean Taylor. Um, but, that's really, and then other than that would be like Eric Berry, just pure athleticism wise. But, but yeah, Eric Weddle was a guy that, yeah, he was the guy who had all the production and stuff and was athletic, really fast, fluid player. Um, but, uh, you know, played at Utah and was white. So, sucks. And stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, again, uh, I think. You could, it's safe to say at DB for whatever reason, uh, if you're a freak, they find you, at least at that position. So. Okay, well, at least we've got that. <laughs> at least we've got that, that one position. Now, obviously, sort of looking towards the future, we, we don't have numbers, you know, we can't say what Jonathan Allen is based on athletic testing. We can't say what, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, should he declare, uh, is based on testing. We can't say what Cam Sutton or 
uh, Baker Mayfield or, you know, whoever else. I mean, we don't have numbers. We have, well, I mean, if you look at the freak list, we have, you know, stuff from spring testing and from, you know, legendary sources that have wafted in from, you know, whatever strength and conditioning person or their best friend or high school coach or whatever, you know, there's all kinds of stuff out there on a lot of these kids, but nothing is anything close to official. Are there any guys that you anticipate will absolutely tear it up when they are tested? Do you think will, you know, put up, may have a chance to be considered truly freaks, not just on some list because of stuff people have heard or, but that when, the, when verifiable stuff happens, who do you sort of predict you think might have a chance to be a true freak? True freak. Well, I think Miles Garrett uh, will yeah. probably be a freak in terms of uh, yeah. when testing rolls around um, for obvious reasons. Um, in terms of offensive linemen, there's a couple guys, you know. Uh, now, freaky, freaky, freaky is a different sort of thing, but I think these guys are going to be like above average athletes, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think it's that gold ditch at Colorado State. We'll probably test out as an above-average athlete. Uh, I think uh, Daniel Brunskill at San Diego State will test out as above-average athlete, and I think Eric Magnuson, you know, at uh, Michigan, will test out as an above-average uh, athlete too. Um, but those are guys that kind of I feel like will test well in terms of that. Pat Elfline at Ohio State I think might test well as a guard in terms of movement skills at least. Um, I think a lot of the running backs are going to test. Here's the thing about the running back class. I think you'll be surprised at how many – well, you won't be surprised, Bill, but I think most people will be surprised at how many guys run four or five. Um, And then people will be like, I thought they were really good uh, type of thing will happen. But they're still good. It's just they don't run four or four and stuff. I don't don't know. Whatever. But, yeah. um, I don't think people realize how fast four – Four is, you yeah. Know, I don't think you'll realize how fast four or five, at least low four or five. If you run in the low four or fives, you're very very fast. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just but, so that people know. But people, but people don't. I don't know. They just don't get it. That's all I can really say. Because uh, that happens with running backs every year, anyways. Is people get into, um, you know, and, and they judge burst for speed. That's the worst thing you can do. And not, it's not oh. the worst thing you can do with running back evaluation. Burst is completely different from long speed, you know. Like, that's a totally different skill set, a totally different – it's totally different everything. Um, but, again, I think the only, I think the guys that will run for four, or at least high-end four, four, uh, is – I think Donald Pumphrey will run that fast. And I think I Dalvin Cook will run, you know <laughs> – yeah, that fast. Yeah, yeah, like mid four fours for for uh for Cook. I think he's going to, you know, like I think four 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 is not beyond the realm possibility for him. But yeah, he's kind of special. But yeah, go ahead. Exactly, but uh, like I think you know, I think those guys are going to be, you know, now of course he may. Dis- I mean, I don't know. You kind of do you agree that Pumphrey will probably run? I mean, not like four four flat, but like four four no. five, four four seven. Right. You know, they can, right. 
I think yeah, I think he's like four four six to four four nine. So I think that's where Pumphrey is. Exactly, and that that's kind of where I think he'll. Um, I just think that that's how fast he'll run. You know, I think he'll be in that tour area, um, the speed because he, you know, he's a legit, you know, fast guy. You know, he's not like a fake <laughs> or anything else like that. Um, I think at wide receiver. You'll see guys who have better short shuttle three cone and explosiveness. Like James Washington, to me, I don't think James Washington is going to run four four. Uh, I think he's going to be Low more four five. Four, five. Yep. yep. But I think he'll have a really good vertical and broad jump. To me, I think he's going to, yeah. you know, have a really good you know type of thing like that. And John Ross, I mean John Ross, I don't think is a four three guy. Uh, I think he's more of a short shuttle three cone kind of guy. But I don't know. I just haven't seen, you know, you just can't go back to Wolf Fuller. Like, I haven't seen that type of acceleration and speed from John Ross. You know, I've seen really good change of direction skills in terms of, you know, his hips and his ankles and his transition stuff is really good. But in terms of, like, 4-3 speed, I just haven't quite seen that out of uh, out of John Ross. So I, I think that's kind of... Uh, you know, but I think the best athlete will probably be James Washington, only because of explosiveness and stuff like that. In terms of those types of things, I think the tight end class is going to be really disappointing um, this year because I think ever what they call an evergreen tweet. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I don't think the guys are going to run that fast. Like I, I don't think Jake Butt's going to run very fast. I don't think that Bucky Hodges is going to run that fast. I think uh, Bucky will be think, in, the, in the mid, like 4.64 or something like that. People are mm, they're thinking 4.49 or something that's crazy. I think he's in the mid 4.6s. He might be slower, but I think my guess is mid 4.6s. I think Jake Butts could be like 4.77, 4.76, somewhere in there on there. Right, but none of these guys are, are going to show up and run 4.55. To me, I mean, the only guy, the fastest guy to me is going to be O.J. Howard, at least. Or actually, you know what? I think the fastest guy, really, realistically, based on tape, is going to be Gerald Everett. Yeah, um, right. speed-wise. Yeah, the the kid from South Alabama. He I'm going to win. I'm actually going to win some money. Actually, you know, yeah, I'm going to bet Donovan. Yeah, uh, you know, again, because uh, <laughs> you know I picked that guy. He's like, oh, I really is going to win. No, no, no. But yeah, Gerald Everett is my money for fastest tight end. Uh, but I, I mean, Howard is gonna run fast, but again, I just don't. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's a Jimmy Graham thing either. I just, I don't see this ridiculous. I see speed, but I don't see explosiveness, and I don't really see. You know, I don't know. I just don't see it with with OJ Howard, but I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I I think the tight end class might be disappointing just based on, you know, just the stuff I've seen. I don't think there's going to be really that many incredible, uh, ridiculous athletes. And the same thing goes with the corner class. You know, I think people are kind of losing their minds over the cornerback class, but then they're going to show up and a lot of them are going to run four or five and stuff like that. And yep. people are going to like go, oh, no. 
they're, you know, they're not, they're not very fast, you know, stuff like that, um, which is kind of ridiculous because you, know, you don't need to be really, really fast to be a, a decent corner. Um, obviously, that does play into uh, the narrative. Like, the fastest corner, based on what I've seen, is probably Dory Jackson. But even him, I don't quite – I mean, do you think he'll show up and run 4-3, or do you think it'll be more of like 4-4? Four, four? I think that I think that for the most part, the fastest players in the entire draft class, at least at the combine. Now we'll see what happens with some of the regional combines where some lesser-known guys who are stupid fast fill up and you know get one day's worth of notoriety out of it. Somebody's going to run you know four two something, and people go wow, you know, and then forget about that person because they're from you know Wisconsin, Oshkosh, or whatever. But uh, but. Yeah, my prediction is like four four one. I think you might just miss going sub four four, but I think he's fast. You know, I think I mean Dory Jackson's going to run probably four four two, four four three. I mean, he's going to run in the low four fours. And there's some guys who are going to run fast. I mean, this is right as you said, it's not full of freaks, but there's some legitimately fast guys. If, if that kid Damon Damon, of course me Damon Alamy decide to go pro and something other than football, but if you were to declare and uh, and decide that football was the path you wanted to follow, I could see you know him breaking four 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 or being you know right up. But even then, I don't see him being you know. I mean, to me, he's somewhere between four three six and four four two. Right. But I mean, I I don't know. I just think in general, the cornerback class is going to be disappointing. In terms of athletes, I think there's a lot of good players. I just think the athleticism, in other words, I don't think there is a special athlete at cornerback in this year's class. Um, Other than Adoree Jackson and everybody else is prerequisite athleticism, but not like, oh, my gosh, I got to draft this guy. Like, this is the next throw, Revis, or whatever type of athleticism. I don't think there's anybody like that um, in this class. Even with Corn Elder, you know, and I'm a fan of Corn Elder, but I don't think he's quite that either. Um, so, I mean, there's there's a couple guys that are kind of like that. Um, when it comes to the defensive tackle class, this may sound surprising, but I think Jonathan Allen will test well. You know, I think he'll be yeah, – Sure. I think he'll be kind of to, – to me at least, I think he'll be what people thought Robert Candice was, you know. I think he might have similar um, – athleticism to that because uh, he, he is a guy who's explosive in short area. He does have decent speed for his size. Uh, I think he'll probably come in at, you know, 6'3". I don't think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be 6'4", or show up 6'5", or whatever. You know, I don't think he's that type of guy, but I think he'll I think he'll test well for his size in terms of uh, what he does, you know, when he, when he shows up. Um, but I think the edge class might be a little disappointing, too. Um, I, I think uh, other than, you know, Miles Garrett and stuff like that, and, like, Carl Lawson and a few other guys like that, um, I don't think there's going to be a ton of, like, oh, my gosh, athletes at the at the edge position. Um, a couple surprise guys maybe is, like, you know, Jordan Willis at Kansas State might be a kind of surprising guy in terms of his uh, explosiveness um, and speed. Um, you know, Takeris McKinley at UCLA is a guy that's been getting a lot of um, – 
a lot of unnecessary comparisons because there's been guys that have been comparing him to uh, DeMarcus Ware, in which case I don't think they saw DeMarcus Ware play at Troy, but um, but I, I don't quite see uh, DeMarcus Ware with Takers McKinley, but I do see a guy who might test well in terms of speed and stuff like that. Um, but he's really raw in terms of uh, pass rush technique and stuff. So um, he would be a guy I would kind of caution people on, I guess, uh, when it comes to taking really, really high. Um, but he's a guy I think might test well in terms of uh, uh, testing. At linebacker, I think you'll have another big sort of, oh, no, at linebacker this year um, because I don't think – that any of the guys uh, in terms of testing at, line, at the linebacker position are going to be elite athletes. I don't think there's a Luke Keekley. I don't think there's a Patrick Willis. I don't think there's, you know, I don't think there's anybody that is that type of athlete at the, at the linebacker position this year. Um, and the guys that are, I don't think have the tape to warrant the amount of acclaim they've, they've gotten. So, um, I even think Ruben Foster might not have tested as well as some people think he might test. Uh, but he, yeah, that's just kind of another guy that's kind of like that. Uh, Tim Williams at Alabama, I think might test. I mean, every time I watch him, I just see Connor Barman-ish or, you know, Jason Babin-ish type of athlete. I mean, that's what I see, at least explosiveness-wise, he has that. Um, I will be interested to see what else, but – I just think in, in general, I just think the edge class is going to be kind of down in terms of uh, in terms of athletes. And uh, the last position, I guess, is I think safety is going to be kind of the same thing. I mean, other other than Jabril Peppers, um, if he does declare, uh, I think a lot of the safeties in the class are going to be kind of averages athletes and stuff like that. And again, it doesn't mean that the guys I like are bad. Uh, it's just that they're not going to be like special special athletes. And as a result, the upside is kind of lower with those guys because of that. So, before we start wrap, do you have any favorite guys who maybe aren't getting a lot of spotlight now, but you think both in terms of testing profile and then maybe whether it be All-Star game or Guys who might start to establish themselves too late in the you know draft cycle, as they say, to to show up early, but still good opportunities. And obviously, hopefully, they you know care about football. But getting back to that, any players you might have noted you thought deserved a chance over the twenty plus years? Um. Uh, well. I'm sorry, what was the question? Oh, I was just saying, before we wrap, I was going to ask, any, anybody you're projecting or guessing, well, yeah, you just mentioned some of these votes you thought. And do you have any favorite sort of hidden gems in this, that you think might be hidden in this draft class you might show up and really exceed expectations? Oh, um, hmm. Well, I mean, Jack Cicci at Wisconsin was the guy that I was pegging to have a rise, and then he got hurt. So, yeah. But, yeah, that happened. Uh, Corn Elder, again, 
I know I keep saying this every week. I'm pretty sure I've said it every week, but Cornelder, I don't, I don't, he's really good guy. So I don't know why people aren't checking him out. Um, Perry Nicholson at Tulane is a cornerback that I think should get more recognition this year. He's a, he's a bit undersized, but he's, he's explosive and he's aggressive. He's feisty. He's a really, he's a really fun player to watch. Um, he was the guy that I, I uh, took a look at, it and I was like, "Wow, this guy's you know, this guy's really good." Um, other than have, other than him playing at a kind of a lower level uh, spot, um, Channing Stribling at Michigan, the cornerback there, the opposite of Jordan Lewis, um, he's a guy that I took a look at, and he's a guy that kind of uh, stuck out in terms of uh, what he was doing there, which was which was interesting to me. You know, I. I I know it's debatable in terms of which team has better NFL talent, Alabama or Michigan, but I kind of lean towards Michigan. You know, I, I just, I just think in terms of like the guys that are there. Like if you were to do Eric Magnuson versus Cam Robinson, I'm going Magnuson. If you were doing Jake Butt versus OJ Howard, I would kind of lean towards Jake Butt just because of polishment, kind of what he can do. Uh, he can kind of do a few more things to get open than than, uh, than Howard, um, but yeah, I think Michigan is a team. I think it's kind of underrated in terms of uh, what they got. And I think the last guy I'll mention is just uh, Obi Mayfon Lee at UConn. Um, he's a guy that I, based on athleticism and based on the, the the tape I've seen, he is a little rough around the edges and stuff. But um, I would not be surprised if he goes a lot higher than people think. Uh, he will go based on the stuff that I've seen so far this year. Oh, what? I was saying it seems like every year there's, you know, some guys, a few guys who slip through the cracks end up going mid or late rounds. And as you pointed out with James Brown, some other guys, they usually do their best to indicate, you know, it's me, I'm that guy. <laughs> you just have to be open to the idea of actually believing or listening or examining some of those players. And obviously when you talk about some of the guys who are playing, you know, lower level division uh, you know, two or FCS or whatever, you particularly will see the guys who put up terrific tape, and some of those guys have put up great tape against bigger schools, which, once again, we'll see if that helps their cause. So, Jim, uh, what are you doing? What have you been up to? <clears throat> well, at least this week in particular, I'm, I'm getting close to hitting my 1,000th player. Um, I had to, I don't know, I just had stuff I had to deal with life-wise with certain uh, things, terms gotcha. of stuff. But that's dealt with for the most part. So I'm about to hit a thousand players. Ooh, yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, ma- mainly looking at Ohio and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, and then what else? Oh, and I did, a, of course, I did an article in Alabama on NFL Spin Zone in terms of the players and where I think they should go. 
Um, it didn't generate any outrage because I don't know. I just I didn't get any comments and stuff, so it's kind of weird. But I I didn't mm-hmm. mean for it to generate outrage. But I just was surprised that there wasn't as much, you know, comments and stuff like that. Um, in terms of that sort of stuff. But yeah, in terms of teams and stuff, I mean, I have about 14 more FBS teams to get to, and of course, small school guys. Uh, and that's really about it. And probably do some more team related articles and stuff like that in the future. But at this point, it's just, I kind of have a good idea of who's good. It's just going back and looking at stuff. And I also probably drop my first mock draft and not a, you know, I'm going to look at other people's mock drafts and then make a mock draft, like based on (laughs) the stuff I've done so far up to this point, that type of a mock draft. Um, And, uh, and of course, release to the top. That's a, that's the main thing. It's kind of working to the top 1,000, you know, the NFL Draft 1,000. It's kind of a really big project, but that's also something I'm going to be working on in the future. But before that, I'll probably just do like a mock draft in terms of the players I think are good because they're kind of different from everybody else. And, you know, I'm not going to say it's because, you know, I watched the tape and they didn't watch the tape, but it just kind of feels that way. I don't know, but it just, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, I'm going to be doing kind of that uh, just based on the players that I've seen so far this year and then, you know, go from there. But that's pretty much all I've been doing is, you know, breaking down tape and, uh, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you know, preparing for the rest of the games this year because I think this is going to be a really interesting finish this year. Um, And also, you know, because the storylines, you know, who's going to take Alabama and stuff. uh, I don't know. This has been a really fun year to watch college football. I'll just say that much in terms of, you know, what's been happening and uh, the types of games and upsets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would agree. It's been a very enjoyable year, but just enough, you know, things that aren't, you know, what's expected, just enough of the things that weren't necessarily anticipated happening to keep it, keep it interesting, keep it fun. And I think... I'm going to do some – I've been trying to figure out some, what I want my next thing to be, and I might, you know, do some stuff about, you know, sort of introducing people to some players they might have missed so far and things like that, sort of the, uh, you know, get to know a <laughs> get to know a sleeper kind of, kind of article uh, that I guess it's sort of what I'm known for, but trying to figure out which where to start, who to start, but I'll, I'm sure I'll figure that out. There's lots, always lots of very, 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 very deserving players, and you just have to sort of you know, pick one basically. But yeah, that's what I'll be working on. And then we should have a very special guest tomorrow morning. Uh, Jeff Risden should be joining us, so I'm going to confirm him uh, tonight, and I'll send out the email. But uh, one of my favorite people out there in quote unquote draft Twitter and uh, you know, a guy that slightly different methodology than you or I, but watches a lot of players and uh, you know, tends to take sort of a a long view or whatever term you want to use as opposed to overreacting to, um, you know, the first piece of information or first, fighting or first whatever it is of a of a particular player and then sort of extrapolating based on that, you know, a bunch of 
I mean, I, I see some people dropping rankings, you know, week two, week three. I, mean, I just don't get it. <laughs> but I know. It's just oh, not enough right. time. You know, and it's also, you know, you just have to do the process. Because the one thing from doing because I just decided to do this, to do the Interfield Draft 1000 this year, um, was, you know, just to experience it, you know, like see what you get out of it, which is obviously a lot of work. But I do think that you get a sense of you just kind of can kind of cut through stuff a little bit more, you know, and it does illuminate the fact, I wouldn't say silly, but just the sort of, you know, like you said, you know, you're, you're doing a ranking list two weeks into the season. And yet based on the amount of time it takes to get to a thousand players, there's no way you watched all those players. You know, there's no way that you actually took your time to, and not just like watch a highlight reel, like to actually watch these players and see what they're good at and see what they're bad at. There's like no way you could have come to that decision two weeks into the season. Like that's just not possible. It just, it's physically not possible, you know? So at, at least that, at least what I did will illuminate that in the fact that I've almost evaluated a thousand players and yet I still am not even done with the FBS yet, let alone the FCS guys. And then you start to realize why the NFL misses on guys in the FCS and why the NFL misses on most guys in general, because there's just so yeah. many of them. There's so know? many guys. So. Bingo, ding, ding, ding. I agree. Yeah. And that's why the whole, oh, if you can play, they'll find you. No, no, always happens. But, uh, you know, you have Andre Moreau. I have Deontay Spencer. I mean, we all have guys. I've got guy Greg Evans, Greg Evans, Garrett Saffron. We all have our guys. You know, the hills. As you say, the hills will die on whatever. But Jim, it's always a pleasure, always a privilege, always an honor. Uh, I'm going to confirm Jeff Risden. You should get an email about that soon, and I will look for you again in the morning, my friend. As always, I thank you for your time, your talents, and your attention. We'll do this show again in one week.